Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to Sacred Symbols, the Internet's most beloved PlayStation podcast. If you want to get our show three days earlier than free feeds and completely without ads, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Your support on Patreon also allows you to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, gives you the ability to vote on the Let's Plays we do, allows you access to exclusive podcasts, and more. You can also buy Sacred Symbols merch by going to tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. I suspect you'd look damn sexy with our logo emblazoned across your chest, but that's just one man's opinion. Of course, we love our free feed listening audience too. If you don't have the means or desire to show us support on Patreon or with merch, please consider leaving us a nice review on the podcast service of your choice and let friends and family know about Sacred Symbols. We, on the other hand, will keep making Tuesdays great again. But enough chatter. Have at you. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. My name is Colin Moriarty. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Chris, the VidCon model, Raygun. Chris, I've noticed a lot of what I would interpret as dramatic photos. Also Germanic. Yeah, a little bit of dramatic. You're, you know. Oh, it's like an action shot. Oh, I thought you said Germanic. Oh, like the languages. Oh, what is Germanic? Like Germanic language. Oh, Germanic. Yeah. Like Germany. (laughs) 
I see. No. Dramatic photos. Right. Also some like candid photos. Maybe yeah. some fake candid photos. I don't know. No, they were real. Uh, that's all. Uh, we. So I went to VidCon. Uh, I don't even know how long ago that was at this point because I'm so deeply out of touch with the way time works. Right. But, uh, you know, went to VidCon, had a good time, met up with some people that I haven't seen in real life. It was cool. There's a photographer who goes every year. His name's, I don't know his real name, actually. I think it's, I think it's Christian, but it's, uh, he goes by Vox Providence. And he just, he just walks around and he just like, he has a camera. Everybody's just, it's just an unspoken rule that he's going to be there. And he takes amazing candids that somehow make everybody look like they're not trying to die. Right. You know? A lot of people on their phones. Yeah. A lot of people making funny faces. It's really good. He's a great photographer. And yeah. He does, the, the, and he does it all just because just he likes to be there. So that's it's fun. Like, it's, it's really cool. Photography is interesting to me because I feel like it's one of those crafts that anyone thinks they can do. But indeed, it takes a lot more skill than you would expect. Like we all have a camera on our phone. Yeah. But like lining things up and getting the right shot and the right lighting and stuff. I think it's an underrated skill. I think so, too. I, I noticed that like because he, he took all these pictures. And I'm like, wow, I look I look pretty good in all these. And I realized I can't take a photo of myself that looks good. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I it's like, like, oh, yeah. well, you know, this he has to be good at this. I look like a fucking doofus when I take my own photo. I look like a doofus when other people take photos of me as well. But <laughs> I bet I bet Vox could make you look great. Well, let's get them out and you can take some. I don't leave the house, but you can take pictures of me here in my house. And we can pretend that they're candid, of course, Vox. <laughs> Well, Chris, it's good to have you back here. We recorded two episodes in a row, so we haven't seen you in two weeks. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's nice to see you. I was tweeting out a little bit. I was a little disappointed I didn't hear back from you. I was excited that we were maybe going to be able to do some Alinity Divine cosplaying and whatnot on our show. I was going to throw you over my shoulder, put you in my lap, spit a little bit of vodka in your mouth, but you didn't (laughs) answer any of my tweets about it. You just ignored me, and I was a little... I don't know if I put you did off. Did you? Wait, did you? No, I, I tweeted, don't remember those tweets yeah, at I all. Tw- I tweeted about it. Yeah. I didn't get them. Uh, well, that's you got them. I you just well, didn't, I didn't see them. Well, I, well, that's the same, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I guess it's, I suppose it is. <laughs> Twitter does this thing where it like it'll let me know when I get notifications sometimes, but then other times I'll check the notification tab and it'll be like one person liked your tweet and then nothing underneath it. So I just miss probably hundreds of things. Yeah, I, I find that I miss a lot of things too. Like on the Twitter app, it says show more when you haven't been on in a long time and you have to keep clicking that to see things. And yeah. so things in that pocket, I've never and seen And the them. new desktop is horrendous. Oh, the new sure. desktop it's, mode is awful. It's no good. It's no good. Well, it's good to be back. This is episode 56. We're going to give you a lot of news today, a lot of information. There's a lot of setup, I think, to this episode because I have a lot to say. Yeah. You have a lot to say as well. We have things to say. I want to start by just giving a shout out to Kyoto Animation, the, the the firm in Japan, the animation firm that was burned, I guess, down by an arsonist it's this insane. past week. And so th- I have it here that 33 people have died because of this. And yeah, they don't make games, but we have a lot of crossover in the so-called weeb culture, obviously, with our podcast. And this was really a sad event for a lot of people and incredibly sad to read about. So I wanted to just wish our best yeah, to yeah. those people affected. That was really sad. Yeah, really out of nowhere, too. Like crazy, random yeah. thing. What what would it, I mean? I guess he had an intent, and I was reading a little bit about it. But what kind of madness drives you to not only kill people and not only kill people in mass, but do it in such a horrifying way? Right? It's I actually feel like that's fucking even crazier than just doing what you did. It, it just brings it to a whole other hellish level. Yeah, and I don't Especially know. Especially because it's just an animation studio. It reminds me of. Uh I mean, obviously a little bit less similar, but like it reminds me of Charlie Hebdo back when that happened. Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah, it's actually it's actually, yeah, somewhat similar. Obviously, they were a bit more provocative, but like still, it's 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 so insane. Very sad. So I saw that going around. Just wanted to acknowledge that. Yeah. But 
with good news, Chris, I come bearing good news as well. And, and we had already tweeted about this and people know. But Chris and I, Sacred Symbols will be at PAX West in Seattle, Seattle, Washington State, United mm-hmm. States. PAX West 2019. Sacred Symbols Live will be Monday, September 2nd at 1130 a.m. at the Hydra Theater, which is in the Grand Hyatt Hotel in Seattle. This is apparently one of the bigger rooms. I actually think that in 2015 I did a. I hosted a panel there with KG and Afune, if I remember correctly. So it's a sizable place. Hopefully we can fill in half of it. I don't know. Yeah. But I would love for people to come and hang out with us. This is probably your only opportunity to ever see me outside of my house, at least <laughs> yeah. anytime soon. I did promise everyone that I would get out and do something this year. So this is it. We will be at PAX West Monday, September 2nd, 1130 a.m. Hydra Theater. And it'll be streamed on Twitch. If you can miss it, if you can't be there, we'd prefer you be there. But if you miss it, it'll be there as well. And I will try to get the audio and we'll make that an episode of Sacred Symbols Plus, which I'm going to talk about in a minute as well. The episode that week will be delayed by a day because Chris and I will be in Washington. But I'm mm-hmm. very excited about that. Are you looking forward to our PAX West panel? Chris? Yeah, it's it's that's super cool. I've never done anything like that. I've done a lot of these like cons, obviously, but I've never had like a speaker thing going on. So it should be interesting. Yeah, you're going to get a cool. speaker badge. Yeah. Which will give you unlimited access to the show all four days. I will be flying in Sunday night and we'll just be there Monday. And by the way, just to throw it out there, because I know some people get upset about dates and times because of the passes they have. This is the date and time slot we were given. So there's nothing we can do about it. I'm perfectly happy with it, but I'm glad it's not like late at night. And I'm glad that it's not like super early in the morning. So Monday, September 2nd, 1130 a.m. at PAX West. Come hang out with us. We won't be doing a traditional meet and greet thing, but I'm happy to, and I'm sure Chris is happy to stand around as long as they'll let us to sign things, take pictures, shake hands. Yeah. All of that. So we'll appreciate your support. I think we'll just do a big Q&A. Uh, I want to, we are all that about the good. audience. So I think we'll just give you guys the mics and just let you take it away. Yeah, that'll be fun. Right. I actually, I was talking about you right before we started recording. There's this, this kind of fringe games journalist who hates me. Mm-hmm. And she was writing about how we don't belong at PAX and all this kind of stuff. So I've actually invited her to come <laughs> and, and ask the first audience question if she'd like and tell us why we don't belong at this. And, uh, you know, I doubt she's going to take us up on this offer. Probably but not. Who knows? Maybe we'll have a nice debate. Yeah. Q and a session. I highly <laughs> oh, yeah, doubt perfectly it. Perfectly suitable. She's totally normal. So you can go, go read that Twitter feed for a nice, uh, <laughs> Actually, she has like, you know, one of the most racist Twitter feeds I've ever seen in my entire life. If you guys go just go check it out. It's one of the most overtly racist Twitter feeds I have ever seen. This 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 particular writer has. And she writes for like Waypoint. Somebody that's wild stuff. I've never heard of her. Well, most people haven't, I suppose. Chris, Sacred Symbols Plus. This is what we really need to talk about. Right. Sacred Symbols Plus is going to be a second episode of Sacred Symbols every week. And it's going to be exclusive to Patreon. Now, we've been talking about this for a while and we're all set and ready to go with it. So my idea for it, Chris, and I think your idea, too, was that once in a, you know, once a week we get together and record, sometimes maybe we'll have like an overflow conversation about a game or we'll just take a bunch of listener questions that we weren't able to use. Or sometimes we'll play a game like I'm playing Persona 4. I'd like to sit down and just do an episode about that one day and stuff. That will be the nature of Sacred Symbols Plus. And again, it'll be a Patreon exclusive. I have dates written down here, so. We're going to start posting these Sacred Symbols Plus episodes the week of, let's see, August 9th. So it will begin two weeks. August 9th, the first episode will go live on Patreon for $5 and up subscribers. And then 
It will go live on August 12th, the following Monday for $1 and up subscribers. And that's just the system. That's going to way it's going to be. So if you have a $5 subscription with us on patreon.com slash Collins last stand, you'll get three days early access to the episode and then it'll go live only for Patreon subscribers of any level. And I think this will be a fun way for us to kind of keep the conversation going and do fun stuff for sure. And I'm really excited about it. So Sacred Symbols Plus begins August 9th. It'll be available to anyone that supports us on Patreon. And occasionally we'll make an episode free once in a while on the free feed. I'd like to do that specifically for big game spoiler casts. So those will continue to be free, but everything else will be behind that paywall. And it won't materially change our episode here at all, our our normal episode. So if you like what we do here, you won't see any change. This is just additive content for people that are big fans. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that was pretty clear. You never know. Yeah. (laughs) There's always somebody you really never know. Uh, Also, I just wanted to throw out here that uh, Sony will be at Gamescom and TGS, which is a little bit of a surprise considering they had no E3 presence. We know they're going to be on the show floor showing games off. Probably no press conferences, but we'll have more information on that in the coming weeks. I just wanted to throw that out there since I think we were assuming that they weren't going to be at these shows. Now, Chris, I have a shit ton of listener inquiries to get into before we even get in to the games we're playing. Right. I want to touch base with the audience because we haven't talked to them in a couple of weeks. Remember, on Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, if you support us there, there's a thread that goes live every Friday encouraging you to give us your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, which we then go through. And I actually have created a second document copying a bunch of stuff we're not able to use that will appear likely on Sacred Symbols Plus. Bryce wrote into us. He said, hey, Colin, S. Preston, Esquire, and Chris Theodore Logan. I get the reference. I don't understand this this reference. It's Bill and Ted. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen Bill and Ted in a long time. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's coming back, I guess. So I guess I should re-familiarize myself with it. (laughs) Just subscribed to you guys a couple months ago. First ever Patreon I've subscribed to because you guys are amazing and deserve my hard-earned cash. Well, thank you very much, Bryce. However, you have exhibited egregious double standards on an episode a couple weeks ago. You complained that the original Xbox controller had too many buttons because of the black and white buttons. Yet, the DualShock and the Xbox One controllers both have just as many buttons with the addition of the R1, L1, or bumper buttons. DualShock with arguably more buttons because of giant start touchpad. I hope you correct this in the next episode so as to appease those of us sensitive to the plights of the original Xbox controller. I did think that was a weird thing you said, that, that it had more buttons. Well, why didn't you correct me in the moment then? Because I was just like, ah, maybe he's just like off his meds or something. Well, you know? I didn't want to be insensitive, you know. Yeah, I appreciate that. But yeah, no, it's, it has the same amount of buttons. It's just the, the original Xbox had triggers, but no bumpers. And those the black and white buttons were just the bumper buttons. Right. I forgot about that. Yeah. I guess I just forgot that there was an era where we didn't have bumpers. Bumpers. Right? Yeah, it is weird. But yeah, but wait a minute. Didn't this- the PS... Well, I, I understand what he's saying because it's the same amount of buttons. I, I guess the specific thing is I forgot Xbox, the original Duke controller, didn't have bumper buttons. Yeah. But actually, the PS2 controller did. So yeah. The PS1 okay. controller also did. Right, exactly. So, I see. And I'm glad that we got to read all that. You could have just corrected me in the moment. But <laughs> but at least Bryce got his shine here on Sacred Symbols of PlayStation Podcast. Jonathan Rice wrote into us and said, Hey guys, I recently moved this week and was killing some time at the Best Buy in this new town and saw the PS Classic is now $19.99. <laughs> it's nuts that seven months ago with the PS Classic launch, the price was $99.99. Oh, well, they got me because they said, fuck it. I'll pay $19.99 just to try this so-called disaster and got one. So if anyone wants one of these things, they are $19.99 at Best Buy in store and online. That's insane. I still that's, think that's too expensive. I think it's fine. I think it's a good price, actually, given like what. Given the things that other people who are not me can do to them. Mm. <laughs> I was reading about, sorry, I was taking a drink of water. I was reading about that 
today, actually on the Collins Last Stand Facebook group, the fan run Facebook group, someone was saying that he bought something online, like a thumb drive with a bunch of games on it, and then just transferred it over and then they work perfectly fine. I, again, I really have no issue with emulation yeah. at, of old games, especially because Sony doesn't make these things easy to play at all. So that's kind of their problem. Well, they also dropped the ball here pretty hard on this one. I agree. So 1999, I have one. Some A listener sent me one. He said to use it as a doorstop, and I am. But <laughs> it's heavy. It's kind of heavy. I was surprised by how, how yeah, the yeah. box was. It's a nice little box, honestly. Yeah. I like the box. I kept the box. You know, the box is nicer. The box than the, is, is nicer than the actual thing. I believe it. So anyway, 1999. If you're looking for a PlayStation Classic, according to the Jonathan Rice at Best Buy, probably at other retailers as well. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's a good price for you guys to get one. Even if you just like used it as like a model on your shelf. Yeah, like that's the thing. It's PS1. like it, it's a good little like just kind of decorative piece for yeah. 20 bucks. Honestly, you could see that at like a Hot Topic or something. Sure, that makes sense. Bart Chicasa wrote into us said, "Any plans for the two of you to join the Area 51 raid?" If successful, what kind of secrets do you think you'll find once you get past all the security defenses? That shit's been cracking me the hell up. It's very funny. What I do you think about all this? I love the idea of it <laughs> because it's like, yeah, I guess they couldn't really do anything if it was that many people. But at the same time, it's like, you got to know that there's nothing there. You got to know that there's nothing. Like, I'm not saying there never was anything in Area 51, but certainly by now, the fact that everybody knows that it's the secret base, I'm so sure they, they've moved anything that was sensitive away from there yeah right? Bob, what's that guy's name bob lazar the bob guy lazar, who, yeah. who claims that he was a i've been i fell down that rabbit hole but i i loved his comment his really earnest comment where he was like don't do it because all the alien stuff's at area s4 not area 51 like it wasn't even like <laughs> i'm like i like you bob that's a fun that's a funny little thing <laughs> it's fun i think this is pretty funny just because it's all the media's response like this was had apparently been bouncing around for a long time and it was the media that kind of made this a thing, which I thought was was funny. Yeah. Some but, dude just made a Facebook group and it exploded and now like he's he's probably on some list. I kind of believe that even if a thousand people stormed Area 51, that they would all die. That the United so. States would kill them. I don't think they would do it. I don't think there's anything there worth killing them over. That's the thing. The second you kill anybody is the second like you admit something's there. That's true. And I then, guess like it's just going to incite even more people to be like, what's going on? It is a very funny thing, though, going on out there. The memes out there are really funny. Everyone, what they would do with the aliens once they found out. I saw a video of a dude like working out with an alien about like <laughs> like having him on his back while he's running and do like his plan to I guess help one of them escape yeah. Area 51. So that's happening. I, I wouldn't recommend it, but you know, you guys yeah, can don't do storm want. Area 51. Do what you got to do, I guess. Ben Rousseau wrote in and said, here's a question specifically for Mr. Raygun. It has nothing to do with PlayStation, but seeing as Chris is such a fan of furries, I would love to hear <sighs> his God. take on the trailer for Cats that came out the other day. The stage musical source material is already creepy, but I find the characters in this trailer to be horrifying beyond all reason. What are your thoughts, Chris? Grotesque and, and sinister yeah. were the first words. That, did you see it? Did you see yeah, the trailer? Yeah, I unfortunately watched it, yes. So in fairness to them, the original source material is creepy already. So Definitely. like, So props to them for sticking with that obviously unsightly, you know, art design, I guess. But <laughs> it's... I don't know, man. That is the most uncanny, most, you know, eldritch thing I've seen. In a, <laughs> you love really, that word. I love I actually looked that word up when you used it the first time. I, was like, I don't even really, know what that means. It's just a really Lovecraftian horror. Like when you're when you're watching it, you're like, this is something's wrong, like on a deep level. Something's wrong. All right. But, I don't even know what this. I don't even want to know what's going on. What is the story of what? What are these cats? Are they human cats? They're humanoid. It's a, it's a musical about cats, right? Like, but it, but because it was a stage musical, you can't 
you know, you, you got to have people right naturally dressed as cats naturally. Because honestly, a lot of people like if you watch any Broadway or any of that stuff, it's like anything delving into any subject that's not you know grounded in reality. It's so it always looks terrible. The Shrek musical is a thing. Uh, have you seen that? No. That is. That's unsightly. Yeah, that's not going to do it for me. Yeah. That's just not going to do it for it me. It somehow looks less worse than Cats, though. I got to be honest with you. All I could think about, and I'm being totally honest, all I could think about when I was watching that trailer were the furries that were undoubtedly masturbating to it. Okay? I hear a lot of furries are disappointed with it. Why? Because they're not hot? The cats aren't hot enough? I don't know. It's it's. I think it's because they're not... I, I saw one comment. It's like, why didn't they just blend the anatomy? <laughs> Or something because it's just it's basically just people with ears, right? You know, I, so it's not it's not far enough. It's not far enough for yeah, the furries. They didn't take it far enough for the furries. Holy moly! Yeah, when I I just couldn't think I because I, I knew someone somewhere is getting real excited about this. Yeah, like real excited about it. So that movie can stay far away from me. I don't want to know anything else about it. It's like one of those things. What, what is that character you brought up where he's literally eight feet tall or something, but he's a boy? Oh, Caillou? Yeah. That's a, that's the same kind of level of terror that I'm dealing with here. Yeah. With the cats thing. Yeah, I'm going to pass on it, but like props to them, I guess, for adapting it faithfully. <laughs> Tom Cargill wrote in and said, hi, guys, I have a question of critical import. This is a weird one for me. He says, what do you turn on first, the console or the TV? The what console. What do you turn on first, the console or the TV? I turn on the console because it turns the TV on for me automatically. Yeah, yeah, same. So that's a that's an obvious one to me. Yeah. But even when, like, it doesn't, like, I just sort of do it anyway. Yeah. Because, like, what am I going to do? Like, turn the TV on and stare at that stupid little box in the middle of the screen saying, ah, no input. Yeah. Um, and also then the PlayStation is going to claim you unplugged it at some point, even though you didn't. Yeah. You know, all the other stuff, the fun stuff that you have to see when the PlayStation gets turned on. So it's a really a great pleasure. Death Stranding's box art was revealed. Chris, I just wanted to let everyone know that so you can go see it. This is an audio podcast, so we can't really show it to you, but... That's out there. It's on the PlayStation blog if you want to see it. Death Stranding coming out to PlayStation 4 apparently this fall. Mm-hmm. And finally, Ben Williams wrote in and said, hello, charismatic Chris and comely Colin. That's not comely. Comely. Yeah, I guess that's my homely is the one that means you're ugly. Right. So I, I don't want to be homely, but comely. I guess. That means I, that's the exact opposite. I think. I, all right. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ben. New patron here. You have previously discussed the much maligned Nintendo bump. Can you discuss if you think there is a Kojima bump? After watching all the Death Stranding trailers, especially the most recent with gameplay, I have no idea why people are excited about this game. The gameplay looks boring and the story is clearly incomprehensible. <laughs> Metal Gear 5 was lauded and sits at a 93 on Metacritic, yet I doubt anybody could articulate what the game was actually about. Would love to hear your thoughts. Keep making Tuesdays great again. I like that the only thing that he was able to comprehend about Death Stranding is that the story is incomprehensible, I c- which I kind of agree. I totally agree uh, with him. What do you think about this? The Kojima, we do talk about the Nintendo bump. Does Kojima also get a bump? There is a Kojima bump, I think. But I will preface that by saying Metal Gear Solid 5 I really like a lot. I think as a video game, it's really solid. It's like around Breath of, probably better than Breath of the Wild to me, in my personal opinion. It's got that same kind of open world kind of like physics playground thing going on with it. And it's just it's it's a good it's a solid game. Like that that is not something that's got a bump from Kojima. In fact, I think it, it's probably the only game in the franchise that probably has the most level-headed approach to it, because a lot of people were just kind of like, eh, I don't know if I like this, you know? That was the first Kojima game that I saw people reacting that way to. But, you know, I I think, yeah, people are excited about this on name alone, and I, I, I have friends who are excited about it, and I'm like, why? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they literally just say, I trust Kojima. It's like literally what they'll, they'll tell me. It seems to me that this game was made too quickly. I, I'm going to kind of stand by this. I feel like it's too quick. 
of a dev cycle for a Kojima game. So I actually don't really under- let me put it this way. I do understand why people are excited about it. It's a Hideo Kojima game. It's a PS4 exclusive. That's very exciting to people. Sony's publishing it. Sure, we get excited about those things, but I'm kind of in agreement that I don't really see it like I don't when that game comes, I'll play it. I don't know what the fuck it is. I yeah. literally have no idea what it is that I'm being totally not facetious here. I don't yeah, understand no, I what don't, it is. I don't think anybody does, really. Like it's about connecting societies to rebuild America, I guess. But that's but and there's also babies in the tanks. Yeah, there's babies in tanks, in tanks and, and they glow and there's ghost men with invisible hands and i don't know what's happening troy baker's there yeah of course, of course he is why wouldn't he <laughs> because be? why wouldn't he be yeah of course troy baker's there i'm sure fucking michael richards is in there somewhere some random ass cameo <laughs> lord knows <laughs> ben i agree with you we'll see how it all goes i think the kojima bump is real i agree with chris that metal gear solid 5 was kind of it actually does have an unusually high metacritic score for how divisive it seemed to have been i didn't like it at all because it wasn't a Metal Gear game for me. But I think that that's why people enjoyed it. So. Definitely was not a Metal Gear game. Yeah. It didn't have any of the story that I was looking for. But no. it had all the gameplay that I felt was missing from every single other one. Didn't seem weird enough to me from what I was playing. Like, I need weird camp. Like, really weird camp. It definitely wasn't as campy. Yeah. For sure. All right. So we'll see. I mean, I want to go in with a honest and, and fair assessment of it. We have some months to talk about it. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more. And I wouldn't be surprised if it got delayed. PS4 firmware, by the way, 6.72 is out, so go download it. It's mandatory. <laughs> a lot no, of you have already done it, I'm sure. You have no choice. Yeah, you have no choice, but it's annoying as shit when you want to go play, and then, you know, there we are. Chris, let's talk about what we're playing. I was on vacation, so I played very little, but it seems that you were playing The Witcher 3, so talk to me about so it. So I've... Okay, so uh, they recently put out that Netflix trailer for the new Witcher show, and everybody's like, oh, it looks good, and I'm like, I guess it looks good. I don't know anything about The Witcher, right? But then I got an influx of messages like, you, you, you've never played The Witcher? you got to play The Witcher. And it's like, fine. So I, so I, you know, I, I bent the knee and I, I downloaded so it again. I, it. I downloaded it. I got it. I've, I'm playing through it, but I re I, I started from my old save and I have no idea what's going on. So I think I have to, I, I really think I have to restart. I'm not, I wasn't that far in anyway. I was like maybe like two hours in. Oh yeah. That's so, not so bad. Yeah. So I could restart, but like, I don't know. I'm trying, I'm trying to like get into it because I know that there's not going to be a lot of stuff for, for a while. I, I know Wolfenstein's out soon, but, or like is out. What's, yeah, what's well, by the time people hear this, it will be about out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes out so, Friday after this goes live. But that's going to be a, a linear shooter that's going to be easy to go through, you know. So I'm going to use this time, this break, to finally get through this thing that I probably should have gotten through years ago. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not far enough into it, really, to say whether or not I'm having a good time with it because I'm retreading old ground. Right. We'll, tr we'll track your progress as you go. It's a game that I need to go back to as well, but I don't think that I ever actually will. I played it a lot more than two hours. I played it for about 40, but... It is a dense game, so we'll see how you like it. Daniel Rogers wrote into us on Patreon, Chris. He says, hey, guys, I've heard Chris mention a couple of times on the show that he'd be happy to play a spiritual successor to Shadow of the Colossus. Well, there actually is such a game, and I believe it's available on Steam and early access with plans to port the consoles in the future. Pray for the gods. Have you mm -hmm. heard about this? Yeah, game? I have. It was I, I learned about it immediately, like the second that Kickstarter came out. But the issue right now is that it is in early access and I don't want to touch it. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. touch it until it's done. Right. Something like that, especially something that I presumably will have been waiting a long time for. I don't want to touch it right now. I'll play it when it's out, when it's done, when it's on a console, when it's when it's gotten through that, you know, rigorous, very obviously like rigorous, uh, you know, testing ground. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, for people that want to look into it, it's pray for the gods, P-R-A-E-Y for the gods. He says, I haven't played it. Uh, I don't have a gaming PC because I'm not a fucking dork. <laughs> But it looks pretty amazing. 
maybe he could check it out and report back. Well, as Chris said, he'll check it out when it's it, done. And I don't really blame yeah, you for that. It does look really great, like really stunning. But like, yeah, I'm going to wait. All right. Well, there you go. Chris is uh, Chrisser. Chrisser is busy with <laughs> Witcher 3 and maybe he'll play Pray for the Gods in the future. I'm kind of just looking to get through some of my these like, I don't know. I need to like beat the Phoenix Wright collection and shit. I don't know. I just want to get a bunch of shit off my plate and we'll have Wolfenstein soon as well. So yeah. that'll be a nice distraction. But I pretty much didn't play any video games when I was gone. And it was kind of nice, to be honest. I am still working my way through Persona 4, though, as I said at the beginning. I'm just playing like an hour or two a night. When does it get great, guys? Like, I'm really still <laughs> waiting. I really feel I have a lot to say about this. Like game. I really do song. have a lot to say about this game because it's fun, but we got to ground the reality on on this one a little bit, I think. Well, we'll do a Sacred Symbols Plus about yeah, it. We'll see. I've never touched it. Well, you never will, I, I suspect. <laughs> yeah, probably not. All right, Chris, let's get into the news. All right. Quite a bit to get through. Number one, the best selling video games in the United States for the month of June 2019 have been revealed. And not surprisingly, Nintendo dominated the month with the launch of Super Mario Maker 2, which was June's best selling game. And that position comes without counting digital sales, which all of its competitors now do. So it's pretty amazing when you look at the MPD list. There's usually an asterisk next to Nintendo games because they don't report digital sales. So anytime you see their sales numbers, it's even more impressive than it seems. So they would have been, they already were number one just based on retail sales, which is pretty amazing. And Super Mario Maker 2 looks really good. Notable PS4 games in the top 20 include Crash Team Racing at two. Hell yeah. Mortal Kombat 11 at three. Grand Theft Auto 5 at four and Minecraft at five. Four PS4 exclusive games charted as well. Spider-Man at seven. Days Gone at 10. MLB The Show 19 at 14 and God of War at 20. Mortal Kombat 11 is now the best selling game of 2019 so far bumping Kingdom Hearts 3 to the second slot. Oh, thank God. Thank God. The Division 2, Anthem, and Resident Evil 2 Remake round out the top five with PS4 exclusives Days Gone at 7 and MLB The Show 19 at 9. That's unbelievable that Days Gone is the seventh best-selling game of the year. Yeah. In guidance that accompanied the figures, the MPD group notes that hardware sales are starting to stagnate with the next generation now very much on the horizon. Apparently, yeah. console sales are plummeting. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. Why, why would you? Why would you invest? Especially when you know they're just going to go down in price once the next... Even if you're not interested in the next generation, you might as well just wait. I agree. You know, I agree. Also, thank you all. Thank you so much. Uh, that means so much to me to hear that <laughs> Crash Team Racing is no, no, no. Well, that, oh. but also just the fact that Kingdom Hearts is not. <laughs> oh, no you're longer. even more excited about that. I understand. It just makes me happy. It does make me happy as well. It pleases me very much. <laughs> it's so petty. It, it's petty, <laughs> but it's not because that game is incomprehensible and you all fucking know it. You all <laughs> know it. OK, it's not. This isn't a controversial thing. Like we were talking about Metal Gear Solid 5 or something. Some people like it. Some people don't. Fine. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts 3 is incomprehensible. They just bully these people. They just, they just like their Disney game. We're just bullying them constantly. Oh, my God. Number two, U.S.-based games retailer GameStop is in serious financial peril, having lost about two-thirds of its total market value during the calendar year. Oh. To many, it appears there's literally nothing GameStop can do to save itself, and that's probably true. But the company is still going to try. The company revealed via a press release that it's working with outside firms as, quote, part of GameStop's broader business transformation strategy to evolve its efforts in cultivating innovative customer centric opportunities to bring video game culture to life in every neighborhood. The fuck does that mean? They continue. GameStop's renewed customer first focus stems from qualitative and quantitative research that identified four major motivations gaming fans have for playing video games, immersion, achievement, creativity and community, end quote. 
As such, GameStop is in the process of, quote, developing and piloting new and streamlined physical store concepts, including new ways for gamers to try new titles before they buy them and giving stores a unique layout and purpose that appeals to gamers. From store concepts that offer competitive sessions in homegrown e-leagues to locations that sell strictly retro gaming software and hardware, GameStop will pilot the new store concepts in select markets to present something new to players, both old and new, and searching for experiences in gaming beyond the console, end quote. Now, I didn't look today at the market cap, but GameStop, when I wrote th wrote this yesterday, had shed 10% more of its value since this announcement was made. So they are this announcement did not please the market at all. What do you make of this? GameStop is trying to survive by, I think this is kind of weird, because they're talking about retro games, but th this one quote, it says, giving stores a unique layout and purpose that appeals to gamers. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. What is, what is a gamer a different kind of person than a person that goes to a supermarket? Of course. I, I Have you ever seen a gamer in a supermarket, Colin? <laughs> I don't know. I've you, never seen them there. Usually in the frozen food aisle buying pizza and what have you. <laughs> yeah, scuttling across the floor you, on all eight eight of their legs. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean... <laughs> I think, um, I don't know, it's probably smart. They got to do something, right? And they can't stay with what they're doing because they're just going to, you know, plummet inevitably towards the <laughs> the great unknown. I think uh, they'll probably, I, I, I've been saying this for years, right? I feel like GameStop should just embrace the fact that, like, most people don't go to GameStop for their new shit and just focus on old shit. Like, I love going to those old places, you know, like the places, like the weird mom and pops that have been around forever for right. some reason, even though no one ever goes there and buys anything, surely they could get something out of that. Actually sell PS1s proper, you know? Or, like, offer something for used shit. Like, old retro stuff. I don't, I don't get why they haven't just... I don't, I don't get why they didn't see Dragon's Den a long-ass time ago and be like, we should just do that. Like, it just blows my mind that they never even thought about it. It, it, it is strange that well I, I should say i should preface it by saying of course gamestop's going to do something they're not just going to die without yeah. trying to survive what was interesting in reading the press release you guys can go look at it on their website but they contracted some outside firms to do this research for them so they're spending a lot of money trying to figure this out and i don't know if that's a great idea i'm looking at their stock now live as we're recording this the day before it goes live for our patrons they're down another four percent today so the company's dying now they're, I mean, they're getting actually close to being delisted. They're getting to the territory of like junk stock now. Yeah. And I'm actually almost tempted if they were like around 150 to just buy a bunch of it just to see if someone comes in and offers like $3 a share to buy the name or something. And then you just make a little profit. Yeah, but that's really predatory. I don't know that. <laughs> what yeah, really, you know, I mean, what that's a, the way the market works. A, yeah, it's literally how it's very speculative. But I agree with you. They need to they need to sh shut a bunch of their stores. They probably do have high traffic stores and cities and stuff. They can keep those the way they are. But I don't know if going into like a retro direction makes any sense. Esports seems to have its its kind of narrative with its broadness, not with its smallness. So saying like we're going right. to have localized esports leagues, that doesn't seem to really I don't, I'm not an expert. But it doesn't seem to make any sense to me no. based on what I'm looking at. It looks like Overwatch has like an international league and. League of Legends and all of these things. Why well, don't so I don't know thinking smaller is the right thing. Also, GameStop is a console centric environment that doesn't appeal to esports. So it doesn't really make any sense from that perspective either. So I, I think that they're in their little death throes right now. And it's sad. A lot of people are going to lose their jobs, but I'll be interested to see this retro store that they're going to pilot. And I yeah. also want to see what uh, what markets they're going to try these things in. You know, yeah, I could see them trying all sorts of weird shit like like TVs set up with couches. Yeah, <laughs> like I could see that. Renting it was a time. great store, great store that I loved back in when I was growing up in. Uh, it was like in when I was in uh, high school. It was like in Poughkeepsie. It was this place called Got Game, and it was awesome. It was just a bunch of couches and TVs, and they would just host tournaments every day. It was awesome. 
They died though, because <laughs> the mall, that mall was the worst. <laughs> it is. I mean, I remember going to a place in Dover, New Hampshire, when I lived up there called Game Exchange, and I think their big business. This was in the nineties, but I think their big business was like you would, like you said, go rent the console. I remember renting games on N sixty four that I didn't have and just playing them there, like Shadows, yeah. uh, Shadows of the Empire and stuff. And you pay like an hourly fee. Yeah, exactly. But, but I don't know that that's really. There's any salvation in that? Probably even. Not. not for a mega corporation. If no, you're like no, a mom and pop, not. like you're saying, yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. Very interesting stuff. Very sad. It's they're dying quicker than I thought, which is interesting. Like they're get, it's getting to the point where I don't know if they're going to be able to even hold on for the next yeah. generation because that will be a nice little bump for them. Like the next gen consoles, them selling them, them selling the games, that'll be a nice little bump for their sales. But that's too far away. I mean, we're talking about over a year. I don't know if they live that long. No, I don't think so. either. If they do, though, and then you buy stock, I'm not telling anyone to buy anything on the market. But if you buy stock at a really low level and then they survive that long, then you might be able to get out with a little bit of a profit. I'm very tempted. I'm watching this price. I don't know how you couldn't be. Yeah, really. (laughs) I'm very tempted to just buy it, but I don't think it's probably a good idea. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Number three, this is an interesting one, Chris. I'm interested to see what you think of this. PlayStation 4 exclusive Spider-Man is already the best-selling superhero game in history, according to the MPD group, which tracks game sales in the all-important American market. MPD's Matt Piscatella, who has still blocked me on Twitter for I have no idea why, tweeted out the list of best-selling superhero games through May of 2019. And Spider-Man, which didn't even launch a year ago and is only available on a single platform, tops the list, beating out Batman's Arkham City and Arkham Knight games, which slotted in at two and three. Lego Batman, Lego Marvel Super Heroes, Spider-Man the Movie, Spider-Man the Movie 2, Injustice Gods Among Us, Batman Arkham Asylum, and Injustice 2 round out the top 10. That's kind of crazy. I don't know if I believe that. That's like too insane to me. It's, is that even it's, possible? It is. It's possible, but I just... There's got to be something that's being like omitted. Like There's no way that I believe that Spider-Man outsold every uh, uh, Arkham on every platform. That's what it says. That's crazy. Now, I mean, congrats if that's true, but I I feel like there's some fudging going on. MPD Group only tracks American sales, but you can extrapolate those sales. I mean, if they're saying in the American market this happened, then there's no reason why it wouldn't have happened in the British market, for instance, or the Japanese market. I could see. Well, Spider-Man is pretty American. Yeah, that's true. I could see that not translating to Japan all that well. That's true. Europe may be a little bit better, but like. Yeah, uh, that, that makes sense. If it's American, I could see that. I could it see is that American. making sense. It is American, but I think that the numbers are safe to extrapolate across Western locales. And I would other- be shocked if like worldwide it was the best selling superhero. That would that would actually shock me to my core to the point where I would go to sleep in a sarcophagus and never wake up. Wow, that's an insane amount of money or going sales. To, going to sleep in a sarcophagus would be a little unsettling because I think that they paint the inside of them and they do all this weird embalming and weird painting and stuff and they actually lock your like own servants in there oh, i've taken i've taken everything into account yeah mm-hmm. pretty interesting stuff i i'm a little horrified that everyone was like yeah i'm a servant for this pharaoh you can just lock me in here and i'll die i'm just gonna die mm-hmm. you know you gotta you know people got passions also this man's uh heart is in a jar i don't know why why that is <laughs> why is this man's heart in a jar a jart a jart <laughs> in game of thrones one of the things i did like were, were the burial rituals that they would show every once in a while 
they never go into them very deeply, but they do like show the embalmed organs on this like shelf by the body. Pretty classy stuff. Yeah. Make sure that happens to me if I die. I, I won't. Thank you. Adam Laws wrote in and said, hey, CNC, hope both of y'all are having a great week so far. In regards to last week's best of episode, I'm realizing that my game of the year is actually Batman Arkham Asylum. I'm very late to the party, but I have only ever played City and Night, and I have to agree with Colin when he said it's the best of the series. Rocksteady delivered gold, but the series lost some luster with each sequel, in my opinion. Are there any game series, more specifically trilogies, where you all have seen this happen? Dead Space comes to mind for me. Yeah. I think the first Dead Space is by far the superior game. I didn't even play the third one, so I can't speak to it, but it looked terrible compared to the first one. But Batman Arkham Asylum is really special. Really, really a special game, compared, yeah. I think, compared to the other two, because it's so limited and dynamic. And we hadn't really played like a 3D Metroidvania type game like that before. I hadn't. Yeah, it's really cool. So I really liked it. I thought City was a little big. I thought Arkham Knight obviously really lost the plot. But what do you think about Arkham Asylum specifically? Is that a game you look for? I love Arkham Asylum a lot. Yeah, I was actually thinking about playing it again just because it was like on Xbox Game Pass or whatever. I was like, oh, yeah, it's been it's been a minute since I've played that. But I think the only thing about that game that I don't like is that ending, man. That last fight, yeah, is the, so terrible. It's like, isn't it against like a? Well, it's ten years old, so I don't it's think Joker, we're it's but Joker, but he's like, like a big. boxing ring or something like weird. Yeah, Joker yeah. takes like a serum and he becomes like a big Joker, right. and you have to beat him up, and it's like it's so terrible compared to like the rest of that really kind of perfect game. It's it's a sign. Games are getting better at this, Chris, because it's a sign that games felt like they needed to have a last boss. Think about like the end of Uncharted or Uncharted Two, and how like especially oh, Uncharted Two, Yeti? how Those weird Yetis. In uh, Uncharted 2, that took like 50,000 clips of your freaking Yeah, you ammo. had a, Oh, yeah, the Yetis were terrible. And also the the exploding blue stuff that you had to fight oh Lazarevich or whatever at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. I just like when games are like, you know what? There is no fucking last boss because it's a really antiquated idea that only belongs in certain types of games. And they hadn't really gotten the message, I don't think, in Arkham Asylum yet. Although I do like, I remember very well the scene walking in there when everyone's talking shit to Batman. I really love that scene. Like he's walking <laughs> there. All these thugs are around him and you can. Yeah. And they're just all like, I think, smack talking him and stuff. That's a very memorable scene as you walk up to that bad boss battle. But I love when I play a game and there's just no last boss like that. It's just over because I really think it's just an old idea. It works in Mega Man, but it doesn't work in, you know, something like I Uncharted. Think, I, I don't think, think you just got to be creative with your bosses, really. Like you can't just have like the, the old antiquated. Like, here's a health bar. Here's a ring. Go fight this thing. Uh, feels a little weird. Like, I've played some FPSs that have really cool ones where, like, you know, sh shit drops down, you have to disable it, and there's, like, all sorts of cool things going on there. But, yeah, I, I would agree. It, it does feel kind of out of place in a lot of things that it's usually tried, that it's usually shoehorned into. I, like, in a first-person shooter, we're going to play Youngblood soon, which I'm so excited about. Yeah. It looks fucking awesome. But I'm hoping that when we get to the end of the game, it culminates in something like a really hard map or a really hard Level. stage where it's just like the enemies are throwing everything at you. But when you survive, it's not like Hitler in a tank or something like that anymore. Because <laughs> I, I just don't even Wolf, you know, machine games hasn't even really gotten rid, you know, away from that. And so I hope that more people take that instruction that unless you have something really clever, which the Joker battle obviously wasn't, it just seems very forced. And the Lazarevich fight in Uncharted 2 always sticks in my mind. That was such a weird thing in that yeah. game. Even the last fight against whatever his name is in the first Uncharted, when you're fighting him on like the ship or whatever it is, I'm like, this is just so weird. Why is it ending like this? It, like, if it's supposed to be a real adventure, yeah. you're not going to fight a last boss at the yeah. end of a grand archaeological adventure, I don't think. Which one was that? Was that Uncharted uh, 2? Yeah, Uncharted 2 was the one with Lazarevich. The yeah, first yeah. one, I can't remember the guy's name. He's like an Hispanic guy, I think. 
and he's like hiding behind crates and you have to like keep moving. I think that was the one where you had to keep. Sh- it was just a weird. It's very gears. It's battle. jarring. Yeah, actually. Yeah, I don't know. And it happens a lot. I feel like a lot of games kind of like they do something and they're like, we got to do more. Yeah. Like I think I remember when, like the Crash Bandicoot trilogy, like Crash 2 is like the best one to me because 3 is so like they have these like weird driving mini games, but they control way worse than team racing. So it's like not fun. <laughs> it's just I don't know. It happens a lot. What are you going to do? I don't know, man. Got to figure this out. Got to figure this out. Sounded a little drunk there when I said yeah, that. Yeah, that was, that was strange. It's like an aneurysm in the making. A little rusty, I guess. Jeremy Michael Andrews wrote in and said, hey, guys, big fan and now super proud to be a supporter on Patreon. Thank you, Jeremy, and welcome to the Madhouse. I wanted to follow up on something from one of the previous shows. You mentioned on an episode of Sacred Symbols that Rocksteady might be working on a Justice League title for their upcoming game. As a huge Batman fan, that kind of disappoints me as I would want a standalone Batman title. My question is, what would you and Chris speculate that a Justice League title would look like as far as mechanics and gameplay? I'm having a hard time picturing what it could be. Thank you guys so much for providing a true PlayStation podcast experience and for continuing to make Tuesdays great again. Now, Chris... About making Tuesdays great again, I wonder now if we should segue to keeping Tuesdays great. Oh, yeah. Right? Just like Trump is, I think Trump is segueing to keep Keep America America great great. (laughs) or keeping America great. Yeah. But MAGA is still a thing. I think we're going to start segueing to keeping Tuesdays great because now we've already made them great again. Yeah, we've already done it. (laughs) Yeah. What was the question we're talking about? I don't remember what the question was. So he's talking about what would a Justice League game look like. Now, I'm no expert. in. First of all, I think that Rocksteady has indicated that they might not be working on a game like this. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be any big surprise if they just made another Batman game. But I look at a Justice League game as something kind of like what we're seeing with the Crystal Dynamic Avengers game, but not bad. (laughs) You know, where it's like a really true... open world experience where you can maybe experience certain parts of it as Aquaman or certain parts of it as Wonder Woman or whatever. But I think and I'm no expert, as people know, on comics. But my problem with these bringing any of these characters in as opposed to Batman is that they all seem like superhuman. Like, I don't know what you do to Superman to kill him or what you do to Wonder Woman. They seem extraordinarily powerful. So from that perspective, I almost hope that they stay with Batman because it seems like they really get it. But if I were them, like if I were Sefton Hill and these dudes, I'd be like, I'm fucking tired of this shit. And so maybe the dark horse would be that they're making a new game and that would be pretty cool. But I just don't think that WB is going to let them walk away from that big IP. I, I hope they, I hope they're making an original thing. That'd be I fun. would really love that. I, I, I can imagine. I don't know if, it, if they made a justice league game, it would probably look like the Marvel thing, which doesn't look great. Did you see the, the leaked uh, gameplay? Of no, it? I heard it was, uh, it looks fine. Yeah. I heard it was like better. And yeah, that, it's, it's you get a more, you know, you get a more comprehensive look of what that game's going to play like, but it's still just kind of like, what is this really? It just seems like a weird. Did you ever play Marvel Nemesis? No. What what console is that? On? That was on Xbox and PS2. Okay, it was like a while it. ago. It was like Marvel Nemesis Rise of the Imperfects. Where you could just, it was like a fighting game, but it was also like a like a 3D kind of brawler. It was weird. Uh, but it, it seems like it might play a little bit like that, except more of a, you know, more traditional third person camera. It's, it's weird. I don't know. I don't know if I'm really excited about it at all. You know, it's one of those. Yeah. Especially cause like we've just gotten through like 10 years of like having a specific look for a mm. lot of these characters. Mm. So they can't escape the fact that this is just going to look like a knockoff. Yeah. The uncanny Valley kind of situation, yeah. which is nice with Batman because. Well, Batman's had so many different incarnations. I know, but already. He, he still has that iconic look like he can have his cowl on or whatever. That's what they call it, right? Yeah. And it kind of looks familiar. Like the Uncanny Valley shit with some of these characters. And the, I'm not you know very familiar with them, but I'm like, that kind of looks like a a man who's kind of like, what, what is it, Chris Hemsworth? or what, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And I'm like, I don't know. That looks explicitly not like Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, it's, it's very strange. But yeah. I understand why they're doing it, but... Oh, yeah. That, they're not going to pay Robert Downey Jr. for his likeness and then go out of business? Yeah, and then exactly, for no specific reason. But I'm actually surprised by how hard people are being on that game because I thought a lot of people were excited about it. But I think Crystal Dynamics is a little in over their heads with this game, too. And I think that's why it took so long to reveal because that was an open secret for many years that they were making it. They so. should have just made it more cartoony. Like, yeah. it would have been fine if they just, like, went with, like, a cel-shaded art style. That would have been such a good idea. Yeah. That would have been nice. I think that they commented. We might have talked about it a couple weeks ago, but I think they commented that they just not are not going to change the models at all. Oh, no. So. For, well, why would they? Like, that's yeah. kind of well, crazy. Well, Infamous 2 is always a great example, like, when they actually changed the whole model for Cole because people hated it. Right. But the issue with these new Avengers is that they don't look right because we're so used to seeing mm. such a specific look that's for those point. characters. So, yes. And they're not going to pay that money. Of course not. Keep your Keep your paper. As one might say. It's just so expensive. <laughs> Jake D. Agrella wrote into us. He said, hi, SCSC. Long time, first time. The recent news of Insomniac Spider-Man becoming the best-selling superhero game in the U.S. is no small feat, and the team should be proud. It really speaks to the quality of their game. Of course, this has, this has inevitably, inevitably brought up the imagine if this was sold on Xbox and PC2 comments, and the follow-up, it wouldn't have been as good of a game if it were multi-platform. I think this brings forward an interesting question. Do exclusives tend to just be better games than multiplats? You get your rock stars every now and then, but, and especially in Sony titles this past decade, you'd be hard-pressed to argue their value or against their value. Is this a chicken or the egg situation? Do Sony and Microsoft hunt down the best of the best, or does this arise from the first-party studios being given the resources to push out quality time and time mm. again? My take on this is that Yes, exclusives do tend to be the superior games, and it's because they only have to make one version of the game. They get to focus on one machine. They have first-party resources. They usually get more time. These games are usually more expensive. So it's just no surprise that a Naughty know. Dog game is is has it. Naughty Dog's The Last of Us Part Two is going to be way better than almost anything on PlayStation Four. I'll just tell you that right now. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they got to focus. I think, but I'd like to hear your opinion. Yeah, I think um, I don't know. It feels like. Especially with Red Dead Two, like that that comes to mind specifically, where like how insanely good that game was, and how much better it was than most of the other. Like I thought it was better than God of War. I love God of War a lot, but I, I think a lot of the allure of or a lot of the quality behind you know first party exclusives is the fact that they're first party. I think that alone, the exclusivity of it, kind of heightens the value of it in a lot of people's minds. Because I think Spider Man is a very very good game, like a super super good game. I don't know if it's like one of the best ones, you know, that's on, that's on PS4. I don't know if it's one of the best ones of the generation, but it's definitely up there. And I think, I don't know, I think it's like a mind thing where it's like, that's only available there. So it's automatically kind of a little bit better because of that exclusivity. I think that's mm. something that happens in a lot of people's minds and, mm. and probably mine too, to a yeah. lesser extent. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong to say that most first party exclusive tend to be better because I think there is an element of that focus. But I also think just the fact that they're exclusive is kind of... I think it's a mental thing a lot of the time. Yeah, it could be. You could be right because I think that there's a lot of advantages just baked in advantages when you're making an exclusive. Yeah. So I I think maybe the most effective thing to say would be that they have just a better opportunity, a better mathematical chance of coming out with a really good game simply because, again, the focus is there. Like Sony is much more in line with the exception of Destiny 2 and other third party games where they had these agreements. They have a huge investment, literal investment in selling these games because their 35 or 30% cut is their 30% cut, which means Spider-Man is 100% Sony's profit, right? Yeah. Except for with Marvel and all that. But the point I'm trying to make is that like when Justice League, for instance, comes to PS4, only 70% of that money is going to go to WB. So 
Sony has only a little bit of a reason to kind of invest in that because they only get 30% back. Right. So I, I just think that there's like a lot of underlying advantages. It's like being the incumbent in a presidential election. You get to stand in front of the lectern yeah, and exactly. have that logo in front of you while the other person's trying to take your job. So you just have a baked in advantage. It doesn't mean you're going to win. It just means that you should win. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. so it's an interesting kind of thing to think about. And we talk about the Nintendo bump. We talk about all those things. I think that there probably is a Sony bump. I think that that's probably true. I don't I mean, think it's universal, yeah. but I think that that kind of comes from a place of quality. But we have to remember that PS3 exclusives weren't all of a high quality. It's certainly not in the mid generation, certainly not early on. There were some games that were very questionable. I feel like they out. only really picked up at the end there. Yeah, really. towards the end. I mean, when you're talking about these are these were second party or third party exclusive games. But when you talk about Layer from Factor Five, I think, <laughs> and Haze and Folklore and all. I mean, these weren't like great games by any stretch of the imagination. And even in the mid generation, when you're getting into stuff like Starhawk and I'm like, they're fine. PlayStation All Stars. These are fine games, but they weren't The Last of Us. And they certainly aren't that trifecta of like God of War, Spider-Man. And, you know, Detroit, for instance, a very pretty superior lineup of games where we're going to get Ghost of Tsushima, Death Stranding, Last of Us Part Two. These are probably going to be pretty superior games. So, yeah, let's remember it's not always been this way. Let's remember that as well. Yeah. Just to be fair. It's a good question, though. It is. Thank you for writing in, Jake. Number four, Chris, Sony owned developer Sony San Diego has officially moved offices following recent moves by other Sony owned studios in recent years, including Sony Santa Monica. Website Push Square reports of some social media postings that confirm the move, which comes alongside a brand new San Diego studio logo, which Sony Santa Monica also received when it moved offices several years ago. While only a minor piece of news in passing, such investments indicate that Sony is indeed doubling down on its dev initiatives in San Diego, which releases Sony's popular MLB The Show series each year, but has otherwise had a churn of talent come in and out, working on games like Killstrain that the market simply didn't take to. Rumors have persisted that Sony San Diego is incubating a new team that is taking over the Uncharted franchise from Naughty Dog, and this news certainly won't quell those rumors. The fact that they are moving offices, Chris, and they that they got a new logo indicates that there's an investment deeper than simply the show going on over there. The show is made by just one fraction of that team. Yeah. And they have had a long running production and X dev presence there that has come in and out with PlayStation Move games. All of, um, I think uh, what was that? What? Yeah, I don't know if you would know it. The guys that made sports champions. Oh, my God. Uh, Zindigi. That's like an, a studio, like a second party. I definitely wouldn't have got that. That's a second party team that was like working out of there. Killstrain was kind of working out of there. Uh, Drawn to Death was produced out of there. Mm, yeah. So a lot of game, guns up, a lot of stuff that has come and gone. It seems like they are putting a lot of resources into AAA development. And I wouldn't be surprised if those rumors of a team spawning there are quite true. Whether or not they're taking over Uncharted remains to be seen. But as Uncharted 4 ends on su in such a obvious way to continue the game... Spoiler alert, I'm going to give you guys a chance to shut it off with Drake's daughter as the main character, which I think is so obvious. Wouldn't be surprised if they just moved it down there and, and had something going for PS5. So very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting news. And congratulations to those guys. A lot of great guys work over there. In Sony San Diego. Yeah. Happy if, if, if Sony Santa Monica moved to Malibu, would they still be Sony Santa Monica? I don't know. It's a good question. They worked. They used to work in this like really the series of really weird brick buildings that looked like from the fifties and like Brooklyn or something. <laughs> yeah. And then they moved into a nicer pad during the, the development of God of war, the, the PS4 one. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually think that moving studios and investing in your teams like this 
boosts obviously their morale. Like they, oh, now yeah, they have course. free food and they got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just curious about like the naming yeah. convention. Like, can you call oh, sure. yourself Sony Santa Monica? If you're oh no, Santa certainly Monica? no. It's, a, it's certainly an, an, a question worth asking. <laughs> but I think that this is good because I think that just gives them a chance to try again for and sure. And inve- instead of going out and buying studios, I think that that's going to happen too. There's rumors that. You know, Sony's taking a look at Remedy and other studios. Again, we've talked about that. I really hope that's not true. I don't think that's there's any purpose in that acquisition. I think it makes more sense for them to go to Sony London, to go to Sony Japan, to go to Sony San Diego, places like that. Just make new teams there. Yeah, for sure. And have them quietly toil away. So congratulations to everyone moving to the new office. Number five, legendary developer Tim Willits is leaving his post at id Software after 24 years at the company. Willits announced the move on his Twitter account, noting that he'd be leaving the company following QuakeCon, which is happening around the time you're hearing this episode. Willits joined id Software in 1995 during its upstart indie days following the original Doom's release. Willits is most notable for being a level designer for 1996 Quake, uh, 1996's Quake, 1997's Quake 2, and 1999's Quake 3 Arena. He was also Doom 3's lead designer, Quake 4's executive producer, the original Rage's creative director, and moved into studio director at id, overseeing 2016 Doom, as well as the yet-to-be-released Doom Eternal. And obviously Bethesda owns the studio now. What do you think of this? I, I actually met him a few times, and he was always a really nice and really knowledgeable dude. And I always felt like he was kind of working behind the scenes and was quietly toiling away on shit that wasn't really getting a lot of shine until Doom 2016. Do you feel like this is a an exit that matters? Uh, I mean, I would I would imagine if it's any any kind of legacy talent that you lose is always kind of like you know a big deal because it's 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 as if you had uh, you know if you were writing a show for a long time and then one of your lead writers leaves you know that would, that's gonna do something. It might not hinder really much of anything, but it's definitely gonna. It's it's gonna affect it in some way, and uh, yeah, I mean that sucks. But I mean, is he going off to do other shit? Presumably, uh, I'm a little confused by this because I would wonder why he wouldn't wait to make this announcement until Doom Eternal came out. Why would you leave now? This seem again. I don't want to start conspiracies. I have no information about this, mm. but it doesn't seem like it was necessarily his choice, or this was like a mutual thing. It's very weird for the head of a studio to leave when their big game is still being developed. That's very strange. Even when Bruce Straley left Naughty Dog and you heard some about some tensions and all that kind of stuff with him wanting to leave and go and doing something else and doing something smaller and getting away, he didn't leave until The Last of Us came out and then yeah. he left. So it's a little strange from that perspective. You know, I, it, it doesn't make me worry about Doom Eternal because I doubt he was on the in the day-to-day on that, but it does make you worry about what else is going on there and it makes you question why you would leave and make this announcement right before QuakeCon. You're going to go to QuakeCon, and then you're going to leave, and this game that you're the head of the studio is still kind of being made. And yeah, very odd. It's a little strange to me. Yeah. It, it just doesn't seem like a move someone would make at a studio unless he didn't have full capacity over making that choice on his own, because you would even assume you'd hang on for the bonuses and stuff that would inevitably come when Doom Eternal gets, you know, an 85 on Metacritic and sells several million copies. Yeah. So a little weird. But Tim Will, nice guy. Sad to see him go. Legendary dude, I was reading about him a little bit. Do you know that he claims that he made up the multiplayer map pack, that he invented it? This is like a pretty controversial thing. I was reading a lot about this. He claims that he invented multiplayer DLC, basically. And Carmack and Romero and a bunch of other guys have shot back at him and claimed that he's lying and all this kind of stuff. Go That's read about interesting. it. interesting. I didn't know Very any, any weird shit between this dude and some of the people that founded it. Because he came in right after it released Doom. So he wasn't a founder, but he's been there for a long time. And apparently he has some beef with some people there as well. Yeah, well. But go read about it. I thought that was so weird. It's like there's a whole part of his Wikipedia page, like the biggest part of his Wikipedia page is about those claims. That's awesome. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, curious. Number six, 
The much-anticipated FPS RPG Borderlands 3, which launches on September 13th, will have cross-platform play, apparently, according to developer Gearbox Software, but it will happen after the game is already on the market. Word comes by way of Randy Pitchford, Gearbox's founder and CEO, who tweeted out in part, quote, we are committed to supporting cross-play for Borderlands 3 with our partners as soon as practicable, or practicable, I'm sorry, after launch. To be clear, there will not be any cross-play functionality in Borderlands 3 at launch, as we work closely with our partners to create a positive cross-play experience as soon as practicable. We are committed to cross-play on as many platforms as possible. So it seems like maybe they're running into a little bit of difficulty since this should really just be a switch you turn on yeah. in the back. I wonder what's... Uh I wonder who's doing that. I wonder who. <laughs> I wonder who's uh, complicating issues behind the scenes there. How curious. Very interesting stuff. Number seven. In a vague and brief press release, British studio Sumo Digital revealed that it's, quote, working on new projects with publisher 2K, end quote. The strange announcement comes on the back of news of Sumo Digital's recently acquired internal studio, Red Kite Games, a team mostly mo known for contract work on games like Dirt 4, God of War 3 Remastered, and internally incubated 2.5D shooter platformer Hollow Point. As Sumo Digital expands its own internal projects, it seems like it will be doing so with a partner. Sumo Digital is a British studio founded in the early aughts and most recently released Cracktown 3 on Xbox One and PC and is working on the revived version of Dead Island 2. Also made PS3 and PS4's Little Big Planet 3 back in 2014 and has done a ton of work on the Forza franchise. The 2K moniker was founded in 1993 and is under the Take-Two Interactive umbrella, which also publishes Rockstar's Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption franchises. Big upcoming 2K published games include Borderlands 3 from Gearbox Software and The Outer Worlds from Obsidian Software, as well as the newest entry in the popular NBA 2K series. So it seems like uh, Sumo Digital is getting into bed with 2K. I wouldn't be super... This was a really weird press release. It was almost nothing in it so i don't know why they announced it other than i think that this might be laying the groundwork for 2k to acquire them mm -hmm. so we'll have to keep an eye on that because that Weird. would be a pretty big acquisition for them sumo digital is a pretty big independent studio one of the biggest independent studios available in the world like up there with insomniac and others in terms of yeah how many teams they have and stuff so yeah, it's pretty Just insane. A piece 2K, of, man they're <laughs> they're getting big yeah they're getting even <laughs> it's insane it's a time when people are getting gobbled up and the remaining independent studios are probably not going to be independent for much longer. Like Insomniac, I think will probably join Sony. I wouldn't, uh, that's been attempted in the past, but I wouldn't be surprised maybe if that happens. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done. Well, I absolutely love this because you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Number eight, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, quirky JRPG Conception Plus Maidens of the Twelve Stars is coming to PS4 in November of this year, 
a notable release for the once PSP-exclusive game that was only launched in Japan. However, to continue the brewing conspiracies about increasing censorship on PlayStation platforms, publisher Spike Chunsoft published a brief blog post about the game's localization. Quote, We would like to inform the community about a content change made to this release, the post reads in part. During the class mating rituals, the Star Maiden's 3D models will appear as blue and purple rather than flesh-colored and will not have detailed facial features. The animation itself is identical. This change does not affect gameplay and no other content has been modified. This content change will not be applied to the Steam version, end quote. While not major news to most of us, Spike Chunsoft's posting does indicate that Sony's standard for questionable content is becoming stricter, and fanservice Japanese games are the titles seemingly being targeted the most. So this is another uproarious situation with the yeah, censorship brigade. another one. Whether or not it's appropriate or not remains to be seen. Yeah. But uh, I think Sony is is slowly pushing the the weebs and the niche gamers that play on their platform to Steam, which is a bad idea for them because these are people that reliably buy consoles and games. They might not buy tons of games, but they do reliably buy these games. Yeah. And I think makes PlayStation kind of a unique ecosystem compared to Xbox. Yeah. So I don't know. Just wanted to throw it out there. Maybe not a big deal. You guys can tell me. Yeah. It's a thing that's happening. Number nine. It appears a new Plants vs. Zombies game is coming to PlayStation 4 if leaked alpha playtest invites are to be believed. Over the past few days, select players have received emails from EA's Community Playtesting Initiative with an invite to sign up for an alpha for a project Electronic Arts is calling Picnic. The email purportedly reads in part, quote, You are invited to participate in a new PVZ shooter playtested on Xbox One or PS4. Made by the team that created PVZ Garden Warfare, the Picnic closed alpha will give players a first glimpse into the new game, end quote. The first Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare launched in early 2014 and was initially exclusive to Xbox platforms. Its sequel, Garden Warfare 2, came in 2016. This is likely to be Garden Warfare 3 and is not to be confused with Plants vs. Zombies 3, which is the newest game in the core franchise that was just released in pre-alpha format for Android devices. The original Plants vs. Zombies did come to PS3 and later Vita, though its sequel never migrated to PlayStation platforms, so it's unclear if the proper PVZ3 will come to consoles or not. Geek Aloud wrote into us on Patreon and said, Gentlemen, with the announcement of the Plants vs. Zombies 3 Alpha starting on Android next week, does this signal the release of Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare 3 before year's end? Earlier this year, on an earnings call, it was said that PVZ Garden Warfare 3 was in development. No word on if it's since been reported. Is it possible that on the call they misspoke and were instead referring to PVZ 3? Good day to you both. This is why I wanted to throw this out. Both games, PVZ 3 and PVZ Garden Warfare 3, are in alpha right now. So mm. it seems like they're going to release them at the same time. That'd be interesting. Maybe a little bit of cross, like cross promotion. Cross promotion. Dare I say cross pollination. Oh. Since we're talking Clever. about plants. Now, I'm a huge Plants vs. Zombies fan. I love the original game very much. Really, really, really great game. Just a sink in your couch and play game. I loved it. Uh, I was disappointed PVZ2 never came to console, but it was a fucking microtransaction nightmare, as yeah. a lot of people will remember. So it's probably a blessing anyway. Indeed. Are you a fan of this here? Are you a fan of either PVZ or the Garden Warfare games? I, I mean, I liked Plants vs. Zombies, but like not, you know, I played it for a little bit. And I was like, ah, that's good. Yeah. And then I never touched it again. I, I didn't dislike it. But uh, the Garden Warfare thing I never understood. I, I just never, never even remotely grabbed me. I thought like I saw it at an E3 thing and I was like, ha, that's funny. And then, like, that was it. And that was the end <laughs> That was it. I was like, oh, it's a clever satire. I thought it was like, I thought they were doing, like, that Tropic Thunder thing. Right. You know, where, like, at the beginning of Tropic Thunder, they have all those fake movie trailers that play, like, oh, here's a real movie with Ben Stiller as an idiot. <laughs> Simple <laughs> Jack. Then, yeah, Simple Jack. And you're like, that's not real. And then, of course, it's not. 
that's what I thought Garden Warfare was, but it was it was real, and I was like, oh, okay, it wasn't so. I, I, all right, neat. it must be popular enough where they keep, they're making the third one. I mean, that's really surprising to me because I bet it's just low cost. Yeah, maybe so. I think I played the first one on Xbox One briefly. It's cute. You know, I like the idea. It's like a class based shooter. It's cool, but I don't know, not for me. But yeah, I, what I love most about this is that the alpha email basically says that it's confidential and all this. Everyone's just leaking them anyway. Then no one cares. <laughs> Finally, Chris, number 10 is a wrap up. The newest Tropico game, Tropico 6, is coming to PlayStation 4 on September 27th, according to website Eurogamer. Racing platformer hybrid Super Monkey Ball Banana Blitz HD is coming to PS4 on October 29th, according to website Push Square. The website also reports that Bus Simulator, which looks fucking awesome, will be coming to PS4 <laughs> on September 17th. Website Gamatsu reports that 3D action game The Forbidden Arts is coming to PS4 on August 7th. That strategy game Northgard is coming to PS4 on September 26th. That action RPG Everreach Project Eden is coming to PS4 at some point later in 2019. That free-to-play RPG Caravan Stories open beta and launch date have both been delayed out of July to an undetermined point in the future. That action-adventure game A Rat's Quest The Way Back Home is coming to PS4 in 2021. And that action game Roguelike Hero is coming to PS4 at an unknown time in the future. Publisher NIS America has revealed that the Western PS4 launch of JRPG Trails of Cold Steel 3, which I know Chris is excited about, oh, hell yeah. has been delayed to October 22nd. And finally, publisher Bandai Namco has revealed that its popular fighting game Tekken 7 has surpassed 4 million copies sold globally, while Capcom has revealed that Monster Hunter World has surpassed 13 million units sold, ma- maintaining its position as the publisher's best-selling game ever. Crazy. Capcom, keep going. Chris, it's time for the new game releases as tradition dictates. You will go first unless you want to do something a little different this nah, time. Nah, we'll, we'll keep things uh, normal. Okay. Conga Master Go comes to PlayStation Vita. The dance floor fills. The line gets longer. Come on down. It's time to conga. That's, what, that's what's written there. Shake uh, <laughs> your virtual hips to the ridiculously fun arcade action of Conga Master as everyone fights to make the longest conga line possible. No rhythm required. Anyone can conga. All right. Fair I enough. like that right up. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> not bad. Good. Day to Live or Day to Live, I don't know. Real Reincarnation comes to PS4. The story begins 30 years after a series of space quakes that were caused by spirits. <laughs> The spirits is capitalized. Shido encounters one and learns that he has the ability to seal away a spirit's power. Shido is determined to save the world and the spirits with the power of love. Experience new date endings and event CGs in Rio reincarnation. (laughs) How have I never thought of the word space quakes before? That's such a great word. That is a good word. All right. uh, Elia or Elia comes to PS4. In 2073, Earth was struck by a horrid childhood disease. And Elia's husband, Ethan, joined an expedition to colonize Solus, a habitable, habitable ex- exoplanet, to save humanity from extinction. Thirteen years later... Wait, what is, what is happening? Thirteen years later. Thirteen years... I'm, I'm still in the conga thing. <laughs> Thirteen years later, uh, Elia joins a recovery mission to investigate the fate of the expedition. What follows is a wondrous journey through space. Space. Fantasy Strike comes to PS4. Fantasy Strike is a colorful fighting game where fantasy meets martial arts. It focuses on depth and strategy rather than difficult execution. It's designed for tournament play, but also to welcome you to the genre if you haven't played other fighting games before. Online play uses the excellent GGBO networking technology. I don't know what the fuck that is. What does that mean? Thank God you included that in your write-up. Fear of Traffic Hmm. comes to PS4. With its colorful world and a magical soundtrack, your mission will be to find the way out, avoiding blocked roads, animals, odd objects on the way, and dramatic accidents with other drivers. You can try to ramp up your score by finding hidden collectibles in every level. 
There we go. Very well done. Hoggy 2 comes to PS4 and Vita. I don't remember the original Hoggy. Yeah. Hoggy 2 is a classic platformer with more than 200 levels. The pink slime named Hoggy is back and a whole new wonderful adventure awaits. Except this time around, Hoggy isn't on his own, as Hagatha is keen to join him, and the two must work together to rescue their slime mole children from the evil moon men that kidnapped them. It's a pretty good write-up, actually. Thank you for that. Mighty Switch Force Collection comes to PS4. Switch up the fun with four games in one. As cybernetic peacekeeper officer Patricia Wagon, ah, oh, Patty Wagon, ah, oh, that's good. You'll use your platforming skills, puzzle solving abilities, and special level altering siren helmet to protect the people of Planet Land and smash enemies into the screen. Four games in one, not too bad. No, good value. Robbie Swifthand comes to PS4. <laughs> Robbie Swifthand and the Orb of Mysteries is a 2D platformer with unique boss fights accompanied by groovy and mystifying music. Plan your every move and outsmart the traps that are lurking in the temple or get dissected in hilarious ways. Experience rage and satisfaction in this hardcore platformer. Robbie Swifthand. Saber VR comes to PSVR, obviously. In the future, the UN bans the research and development of killer robots. Mm. No AI can terminate human life. These AI are repurposed into human-controlled, state-of-the-art, weaponized drones. High-tech military corporations race to create mechanized animals called S-A-B-R-E, uh, Synthetic Animal Bio-Remote Entities. They're really trying there. Yeah, fair enough. It was like S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. <laughs> really trying. Smoots Summer Games comes to PS4. Excuse me, it's Smuts. I'm sorry, Smuts. I don't know. It's S-M-O-O-T-S. Smut, Smoots. I don't know. Get the gold medal. Play athletic. Play athletics events from your sofa. That's what it says. Play athletics events from your sofa. Prepare yourself for the next season. Smooth Summer Games is a sports arcade game for one to four players where you can play 18 athletics events. And that's where, it again, says athletics events. No one at PlayStation Blog, by the way, gives a flying fuck about any of this. Play with your favorite Smoot characters and practice special challenge and championship game modes. Who is Smoot? Smoot characters. I don't know what the fuck's going on here. Does anyone read anything over there? No. The answer is no. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> Songbird Symphony comes to PS4, a heartwarming journey of discovery as orphaned chick Burb sets off to find his true origins. I like that. That's cute. Follow this cheerful little bouncing bird who revels in singing and guide him through this magical journey of stunning pixel art and gorgeous animation that shapes its, uh, that shapes itself to your musical interactions. That sounds kind of neat. Yeah, it does. I like rhythm and burbs. Burbs. Tetsumo Party comes to PS4. It's Tetsumo Party time. Help sumo warriors win in a hilarious competition. Control their arms and legs to fit the incoming bamboo wall or drop out in the most ridiculous way. Riddle me this. What do sumo walls and dancing have in common? The answer is all of these elements formed Tetsumo Party. It sounds like that game Hole in the Wall. Remember that, yeah, that game yeah. show? Yeah, from like... Uh, Here oh, comes the hole. Oh my, what the hell was it? Oh my god, it was like Whiplash or something. Like yeah, some yeah. weird uh, Wipeout. Wipeout. There it yeah. is. Wipeout. Yeah. <laughs> Here comes the, the hole. It's like it's like baked into my head. It's so I would funny. love a game show like that where like they came, but like they came at like eighty miles an hour. Oh, that'd be so good, dude. <laughs> god bless Japan with their great game shows. Wargroove comes to PS4. Take to the battlefield with Wargroove, a strategy game for up to four players. Choose your commander and wage turn-based war on battling factions. Design and share maps, cutscenes, and campaigns with easy-to-use editors and in-depth customization tools. That game's supposed to be excellent. That and sounds kind of neat. I'm supposed to, uh, 
or I'm supposed to. I'm so happy rather to be able to buy it this week because it was supposed to be great on Switch where it came out, I think, several months ago. A lot of people are saying it's kind of like Advance Wars, which is pretty tickle something hear, inside of me. I hear a lot of people talk about Advance Wars. I never played Advance Wars. Advance Wars is fun. It's a it's a pretty manageable turn-based strategy game that began on Game Boy Advance, hence the name. Yeah. Uh, it was also on DS. There might have been one on 3DS as well, but Wargroove looks great. It looks like the spiritual successor to that, very similar to Felseal Colin Moriarty's Game of the Year 2019 so far, which is a spiritual successor to Final Fantasy Tactics. Wolfenstein Cyberpilot comes to PSVR. Wolfenstein Cyberpilot brings virtual reality to the revolution against the Nazis. Paris, 1980. You're the best hacker in town. Your mission, aid the French resistance by taking control of powerful Nazi war machines. Saddle up, Cyberpilot. You're one of us now. Wolfenstein Youngblood comes to PS4. Wolfenstein Youngblood is the first modern co-op Wolfenstein adventure. 19 years after the events of Wolfenstein's, uh, Wolfenstein 2, BJ's twin daughters, Jess and Soph Blaskowitz, <laughs> I love that name, always. It's great. Yeah. Are forced into action. Wolfenstein Youngblood features the most open-ended Wolfenstein experience to date. Can't wait! Yeah. I'm not going to play it with anyone, but I'll play it by myself. Will I play as Jess or Soph? I have no idea if you're even given the option if you play yeah. alone. But yeah. we'll have an idea of that soon enough. Looks you probably well. Oh, I can't wait. Machine games. Keep on keeping on, you sons of bitch. Chris, reader mail. All righty. Let's let's let us go. As tradition dictates on Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, you write in on patreon.com slash Collins last stand on our Friday weekly threads. I go through and pick out your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. We answer eight of them. Chris, let's start with Jay Reese Bear, who has the nerve, the audacity to sound like an author. Jay Reese Bear. <laughs> Jay Dot. Like the, I always was really confused by names like that. I love those guys. Yeah, like R.L. Stein or yeah. like, or like a George R.R. R. Martin. Right. What the hell does R.R. stand for? But I love when it's the first name. That's that's so who Jay the hell has Reese two middles, Bear. though? Like R.R. What? Railroad. Of course, George Railroad Martin. <laughs> he says, hey, CNC, with movies and albums coming with a copy with a digital copy. What? So you wait. <laughs> what did you say? He says, hey, CNC, with movies and albums coming with a copy with a digital copy. I think you mean you buy a hard copy it comes with a digital copy. Oh, yeah. yeah Do you I think, think this practice will ever transition over to games? I've been slowly making the change to purchasing digital copies of games over physical to help conserve shelf space, but can't resist a good steelbook collector's edition from time to time. I also travel a lot for work and bring my PS4 with me and wish that I could have a digital copy instead of packing games to play. I even have a few games where I have both a digital and physical copy just to avoid issues like these. Thanks for your time and for making the best goddamn gaming podcast around. Cheers. Thank you so much, Jay Reese Bear. <laughs> Chris, this is an interesting question. I like it. Yeah. Do you think that physical copies of games will ever come with digital download redemptions for them? Not. No, no, I don't think so. Or at least not anytime soon. I, th I think you're more likely to see game cases come with codes. You know what I mean? Like you could buy the case and just get the code right. like for people who like to have like the, the collection, but also don't want to. I think there were Vita games either. that literally did that, which is yeah. fucking hilarious. I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't mind that. I'd, I'd probably be down for that. Just I like because I do like I miss the at home in New York. I have a bunch. I have this, you know, big shelf with all my stuff. And it's, it's nice to look back on. And but at the same time, it's like I don't miss it. You know what I mean? Like I go back and I admire it. And then I come home and I'm like, I'm glad I don't have all those boxes because <laughs> moving would be a fucking nightmare oh definitely that's why i'm trying to get rid of a bunch of shit right now yeah for the inevitable move that i'll be making chris 
to me, I look at it as like, well, maybe someone will try it one time and that'll be pretty interesting. And maybe they have tried it in the past and I've just not been aware of it. But yeah, I could see that. This is a thing that I think is common with Blu-ray purchases where you get the Blu-ray and then you get a digital download. And I think that's just to encourage people to buy these physical copies. But I don't know if that kind of encouragement is necessary for games yet, because still 75 percent or so of games are sold at retail or in retail versions. You don't necessarily have to go to a store to buy them. But my biggest concern with this, I guess it's not a concern. It would be super fucking cool. But the biggest thing that would be ha- happening with this is that you would get the game and then you would just sell the code. So, yeah, basically, companies would be selling or publishers would be selling games for $60 in which they would basically only be getting $30 worth yeah. of gross profit. No, exactly. Them. So here's here's what you would happen, right? Here's what would happen. If you were ever to see this happen, you would be paying $120 for a game, right? Is that that's they will literally charge you they twice charge for you, it. Yeah. Which at that point, just buy both of them, <laughs> you know? It's a cool idea. I like the question, Jay Respair, but I don't know. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like it's an, an applicable thing to our gaming industry. Blair Toms wrote in, said, hey, C squared. Hope this summer has been treating you well. You mentioned in one of the last episodes that you thought Konami had something brewing behind the scenes since they had recently released the Castlevania collection and the Contra collection. Do you think it could be possible that Sony would try to buy their games division on IP since Konami is more focused on their synchros and gambling machines than gaming? This could breathe new life into their long-running series of games. Just wanted to know if either of you thought this was something that would even be possible, and if you would think it would be a good move for Sony. Thanks for all you do and all of your shows. Thank you so much for your kind question. Now, Konami owns great IP. They own Castlevania. They own Metal Gear. They own Contra. They own a bunch of shit. They own PES. I mean, the list goes on and on. They own Blades of Steel. I mean, a lot of weird stuff that they could revive. Yeah. Zone of the Enders, Silent Hill. There's a lot of stuff that they own. And I don't know what they're doing with it. Now, I do think that the Contra collection, the arcade collection and the Castlevania collections were test beds to see how people would receive them. Same thing with Castlevania Requiem last fall. We've talked about that a lot. And there is a Contra game coming out in August. That's like a kind of a twin stick shooter, a little bit of a different kind of almost, I don't know, grindy loot based thing that they've never done with Contra. It actually makes a lot of sense to me. But I don't know that Konami has any financial reason to get rid of things because they're not struggling as a company. They're doing great. They're doing better than ever, actually. Yeah. It's just that they're they huge in Japan. Yeah, right? they're gigantic. And like I said, I think we talked about it on here, but maybe not like Konami actually has a factory in Nevada that makes gambling machines like for casinos. (laughs) Really? Yeah. So (laughs) when they say and I've actually had made this mistake in Nevada talking to friends there, when you say the gaming or gaming industry, that doesn't mean video games. It means gambling. And when you talk about gaming in that respect and the gambling respect, Konami is in on it, man. They're in on it in Japan and they're in on it in the States and they're probably in on it even in Macau and other places around the world. So to me, I say, like, I look at it if I were them and be like, we just keep this IP because who gives a fuck? And if someone comes along and tries to offer us a lot of money for one of these, then maybe we'll sell it. But they make pachinko machines based on Metal Gear that are probably more valuable to them than selling the Metal Gear IP. It would be interesting for Sony to go in and say, like, we'll buy all of your IP. And it would be cool to liberate that IP and give them to someone. The biggest fear I have would be someone like THQ Nordic coming in, (laughs) which I think is actually more likely. I don't think any of this stuff is necessarily likely, but I think it's more likely that THQ Nordic or a smaller publisher goes to Konami and tries to pick some of these off. And that would make me more scared for Castlevania and others than Konami taking care of it themselves. So what do you think? Do you think Konami has enough value there where they would try to transmit some of this stuff to a, a competitor? I don't think that like, I think like you said, I feel like they're not really in any position to they're not really in a position where they even need to even think about it. I feel like why not just have the IP and just like wait until you want to do something with it? Yeah, I, as opposed I'm, to just I'm waiting agreeing. for like Sony to come to you and be like, hey, yeah. well, and then by the way, who's going to be making those games? Are they going to be like, uh, I don't know. It's nah, they're no. not going to sell those IP. No, I, I wouldn't do it. 
I, if Especially I were them, you I just put do. them on gambling machines and just make a lot of money. Right. Exactly. There's no reason why there can't be a silent. I mean, there are. If you go to Vegas there, I mean, you were just in Vegas recently. There, yeah. Those machines are everywhere. There are Konami machines. And, and obviously, if you go to Japan, you see their health clubs and all that kind of stuff as well that they're really focused on in some of their technologies. So, yeah, I don't see any reason to do it. Maybe if they were struggling, then that would be the first thing that would go. But it would be a big mistake for them to do that, I think, just because liberating Castlevania or Metal Gear or Contra and then seeing what someone really could do with it would be the greatest insult to injury for them. And I don't think that they would put themselves in that position. I think it's much more likely, frankly, that you get a really good Castlevania game from Konami in the next few years or you get a really good Metal Gear game from Konami in the next few years. I think that they're stepping back in. Mm -hmm. And I think that they might have underestimated the impact of console gaming on a lot of people's bottom lines. So while they're doing very well right now in other ways, they could be doing even better. And they really had hurt themselves with a whole generation of gamers just by the way that they were treating them. And they misread the, the tea leaves in a big way, I think, in, that, in, in doing that. But yeah, I would rather see Konami hold on to that stuff personally. Anthony Gigi wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, when will this open world craze come to an end? I was recently in a Twitch chat where the streamer was saying how they don't make games anymore. Games today are open world cinematic movie experiences and are less alike the games back in the day, like Psychonauts, Ratchet and Clank, Sly Cooper, Super Mario Brothers, etc. I enjoy open world but I, or I'm, I'm sorry, he says, I enjoy open worlds, but the market is saturated with them now, and I'd like to play a linear game every now and again. Games today also have less replay value because they're so long and I don't have time to replay them when I can play something new. Sometimes bigger isn't always better. Sorry for the long post. Hope you're all having a great week. Thank you so much. I am in complete agreement. The problem is this, Chris, that copying, and this is why copying trends is so dangerous in video games. Video games are so expensive and take so long to make at a AAA quality that when you look at the trends and then you're like, all right, I like that open world game, so let's do our open world game, then it's five years until your open world game comes out. And by that point, there is a saturation problem. So I'm super tired of open world games. It doesn't mean that I don't want to play some of them. Some of them coming out like Dying Light 2, I'm really excited about. Ghost of Tsushima looks really cool, but I'm in general agreement that I'm looking for smaller, tighter experiences. And that game that I just bought it on sale, A Plague Tale, is supposed to be excellent. The uh, the one that yeah, the rat the, one. yeah with the rats and, and your kind of kids playing in the, during the Black Death, I guess that's supposed to be like really great because it just isn't this fucking open world nonsense. And you see games like Rage 2, Generation Zero, these other games come out that are just like, I don't want to Rage 2 is a better game than Generation Zero. But Rage, I was just like, this is kind of boring. Like, how many times am I going to do this? Yeah, shit? throughout when I, while I was playing Rage 2, the first thing I thought was like, this would be great. If it was just linear, I would be having so much more fun with it because I know that I could put it down and pick it back up and like, because that's what I do with Doom already, right? You know, I put on that, I put that game on every couple days just because it's easy to pick up and play because it's linear. And I, I do, yeah, I, I do miss that. Not that we're not getting that. We're still getting that kind of a lot. You know, we had, we just had the Mega Man or whatever. And like, it's not like these things are, aren't happening, but I do wish that they were a little bit more prevalent than these, this open world thing. Like if, if we had another game like, uh, like Arkham Asylum or something that was like like a Metroidvania kind of thing which I I, I guess Star Wars is kind of that yeah that it, could be cool yeah it could be I'm so excited like, going uh, to different planets but, I, but it, it is getting to the point where like when I when I hear a game has oh it's an open world game it's kind of like a tick on the on the score for me like it's immediately like a negative thing like ah it's another one like it doesn't mean it's going to be bad or it's going to be like terrible or even that it's going to be like great or anything but it is something that I think of immediately when I go into a game like that it's like ah that's already a point against it for me. The feeling that I got the first time I played Fallout 3 
and was like, holy shit, this game is huge. It was just something I had never really seen before, right? And yeah. the more you experience the same thing over and over again, obviously, the more you're going to become immune to its charms. And so yeah. I totally agree with you. Like, you have to do something really special. I think Dying Light was a really special game because it was so fun and fluid and parkourish that it made the open world feel different than just running around on a fucking horse or on, on, on you know, on foot. And so I agree with you. It's just it's just one of those things where we're in this industry that is so me too and copycat that they just take forever to produce these games, yeah. and rightfully so. And then by the time they come out, everyone's like, "What the fuck? I don't want yeah. another open world." Well, you game. know what it is? Maybe maybe a lot of those companies are hoping to be people's first Fallout Three because there's always going to be like a younger group coming in, right? And they'll play like I don't know what's a what's a recent. Open rage, world. I mean, Rage Two. So they'll game. play Rage Two, like, and they'll, they'll like be coming into video games for the first time, really, and they'll be like, "This is crazy! Look how open it is!" You know, <laughs> like maybe that'll be their Fallout Three or whatever. I think it's possible. It's possible, and I think that's probably that's probably true. Because I know for me, it was Skyrim. Like Skyrim was right. the first time I was like, "What the hell is it?" Like I'd played open world games, obviously, but like something about that one was like, "What the hell?" It's this a it's crazy. a fun, it's a fun experience, and it makes you feel like it's so necessary yeah. for a little while. Like I did feel that way for a few years. Where I'm like, "Wow, man." Any game that's containing me better have a really good narrative like an Uncharted or yeah, yeah. let me do my thing. But it's very telling, right? Like Batman Arkham Asylum is a pretty linear game. You can backtrack and stuff, but it's telling that Rocksteady was like, we need to make this game bigger. And they made, you know, Arkham City. And then they're like, we need to make it even bigger. And then they made Arkham Knight. And it's like, well, actually, the tightness of the original game was what made it so good. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost interesting if people had more of an open mind about this stuff. And didn't expect bigger, 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 bigger as being better. For sure. But rather rather more refined, which is why I'm so excited about The Last of Us Part 2, because I think we're going to get exactly what we're talking about, which is a totally linear game that beat for beat delivers exactly what they want you to see, exactly what they want you to experience. That takes more design and more intent. And I would argue is a harder game to make. No, for sure. At this point. Because you now you have to like when The Last of Us came out in 2013, you wouldn't, didn't necessarily it wasn't like a bad thing to say, like, it's only 15 hours long and you can't really choose. No, anything. No, no. And now that's like a bad thing, right? Like 15 hours. You can't. There's no choices. You can't go and fuck around. You know, and it's like, well, yeah, you have to have some intent behind I, the design. Yeah. So I, I really am excited about some of these more linear games. Resident but, Evil 2. Yeah, that's was great for that reason, too. It was amazing because it's it so just tight. open enough, right? Yeah. Without and it still funnels you towards different things like getting the medallions in the beginning of Resident Evil 2. You can do them in any order, yeah. but you're getting them t- towards like this common goal. It's open, but it's not like endless. Yeah. Which is kind of like the tedium of a lot of it. It's just like, when does this stop? <laughs> I think you're going to start seeing it shake out soon. I really do believe that. Like, I think you're going to and you're already seeing it in a way like uh, I'm turned off by open world games as well. I'm yeah. just like, I don't know. You, you just have to be really special. In this fairness to Rocksteady, though. We hadn't had an open world Batman game, and that was something that people were wanting for a long time. True. So fair to them, they did. I love City, by the way. Yeah, City. No, I think City's a great game too. But but Asylum was really special. It just go. I don't know. I just wish, I wish a plurality of players supported just great design and gameplay over, I don't know, length or size because it just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it I'm really doesn't. Like some of the most powerful games I've ever played. Two third or what is it called? Three fourths home or whatever that game is that I really like that was on Vita was like 20 minutes long. It's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Sometimes not everything has to be, you know, I don't know, whatever. I feel like I'm repeating myself at this point. Richard Martinez wrote into us. 
said, hey, Colin, whatever happened to the Breath of Fire series? I actually went and looked into this what for you, Richard. What the hell is that? Yeah, I, I don't even know what that is. Uh, so Breath of Fire was a Capcom developed and published role playing game series that began on Super Famicom and Super NES in the early 90s. And it had this really interesting spirit and art style. And I think that the series really hit its stride with Breath of Fire 3, which came to PS1 when I was in middle school. That was the last one I played. But I went and looked actually for you, Richard, because I, I didn't know the answer. So Breath of Fire 1 came out 93, 94 SNES Super Famicom. Breath of Fire 2, 94, 95, SNES Super Famicom. Breath of Fire 3, 97, 98, PS1. Breath of Fire 4 on PS1, 2000. Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter, which I assume is Breath of Fire 5, came out 0203 and PS2. And then nothing. And then Breath of Fire 6, uh, 2016 on mobile, which I remember that happening. So I don't think you're ever going to see Breath of Fire ever again. <laughs> That's sad. But it was a fun little series. But I wanted to look into that for you. Yeah. So Breath of Fire 6 was only released in Japan on mobile in 2016. So uh, I wouldn't count on anything. A little collection would be kind of nice. Yeah. That would be fun. If only you were me and all your favorite games were just remade for I no know. reason. I don't, I don't have that kind of luxury in my life. <laughs> Capcom, though, is the publisher and owner of that IP. And they have been really great about releasing really good collections. So Breath of Fire might be in that. They just did that with Phoenix Wright recently. That's not a huge series. So it's it's not it's beyond a the... Bit, it's a little the, bit bigger than... <laughs> The Breath of Fire. It's a, I, th- I think Phoenix Wright's popularity is like heavily bolstered by just meme culture because it's such a big meme. Yeah, it's awesome. That that's true. I mean, I have a bunch of memes on my phone of of Phoenix Wright, so I'm part of the problem. Yeah, I even made a few of them. That's I how actually, I learned about it. That's yeah. that's a, like what is that? <laughs> Objection. Anton K wrote in and said, "Hey, C squared, this is for Chris. Have you gone back to the original Crash Team Racing on PS One just to see how it feels different now? Are you a god at it now?" With as which, which with how much more difficult CTR is, or do the new skills not transfer to the original game? Thanks. I haven't gotten back. I haven't gotten back to playing it since the the remaster came out or the remake came out. But I was playing it like pretty consistently up until the launch, and it, the muscle memory was a little bit off. Like the, like what you did translated perfectly. Like the gameplay itself translates perfectly. I think from the PS one to the to the new one, but the way the maps play out and like the the just the specifics of like map layouts they're a little bit different um but i haven't gotten back to it so i, I don't know I'm, I'm probably incredibly good at it now <laughs> not that i already wasn't because the original game is way easier like insanely easy which is kind of cool well that they, that they managed to add that challenge you triumphed by getting the platinum trophy so congratulations to you Harrison Stanley wrote in and said, hello, CNC. Recently, Rainbow Six Siege completely changed its trophy list. They changed the names and requirements of about half of the trophies. They removed all of the single player trophies, making all of the new trophies multiplayer. As someone who plays a lot of Siege, I personally think the trophy list is better, especially since no one played the single player mode and most of those trophies were super grindy. Now that a major game has done this, is this something you would like to see in the future? Or is it something you think games should stay away from? I think it would be good if multiplayer trophies were replaced after the multiplayer aspect of the game is shut down, but I'm not really sure how the, how to feel about this as a whole. So when I saw this, Harrison, I was like, no fucking way did that happen. And I went and I went and looked. I'm like, I never heard of that. I don't even think that's possible. Lo and fucking behold. They did it? They did. They changed a bunch of the trophies. And I was reading a bunch of, there's a huge thread on PSN Profiles, a website I very much like, uh, all about trophies. And I was reading about it. And what's interesting is that the, the locations of the trophies. So if you earn the platinum, you still have it and you still have all the trophies. But now like the trophies you earned are just different names for different requirements. So what people are saying is that like they did something and now have a, a trophy for a requirement that they never fulfilled. This is the first time I've ever heard of this happening. But it's cool to know that it's possible. I didn't know this was possible. And I don't think people can write in. I'm sure you guys have some obscure examples, but I've never heard of this. 
yeah. of a game changing its trophies. And then basically its position in the list is the same so that if you already earn the trophy in that position, you have earned it already without having played it. Weird. Very weird, but pretty cool. Now, doing this requires probably recertification. They also probably had to get permission from Sony to do this. I wouldn't expect that this is very common. I do love the idea of the dead multiplayer games having these trophies being replaced or trophies that don't work out very well being replaced. But I don't know. I, I think trophies should probably remain static. I, I, would, I agree. I don't I don't like it at all. I feel like it. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems sacrilegious almost. Something to me. Like, I don't even care about trophies or like achievements or anything but there's something like if i if i went back and like i got a trophy for something i didn't do i'd be like ah i don't know that feels like a stain kind of it's a little weird i, like I, I just couldn't believe it when i harrison when you wrote in that's your first name right or is it stanley harrison or is it harrison stanley because it can go either way I think it was harrison stanley it is harrison stanley yes harrison when you wrote in i, I just couldn't believe it i was like I, i'd never even heard about this i didn't even know this was possible i didn't i literally didn't know this was possible so, I mean, I assumed it would be possible, but I, I, I didn't think anybody would even bother to do it. It's a very exciting possibility for very certain games that are very broken. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. There are trophy lists that literally are unattainable because trophies are broken. So it would be cool to go back and fix some of those. I think Nuclear Throne on Vita is like totally fucked, for instance, and they never fixed it. So thanks for that, guys. But yeah, generally speaking, I don't I don't like that move. I, I think Rainbow Six Siege is very unique because it's only gotten bigger. And so as it's gotten bigger since it's launched in 2015, I think that they probably just were like, we need to, no one's playing single player. These trophies are unattainable. We can fix it. Maybe Sony will give us help. So they did that. But if you guys have any other examples of this, let me know, because I don't know. I can, off the top of my head, I can't think of any other, any other game that did this. I know that games have changed trophy names and trophy titles, like because they were offensive. There was one in God of War Ascension, I think that giant internet baby uh, Adam Sessler got upset about that they changed the name of, but they didn't change like what you had to do to get it. Yeah, or it was anything the same. Like that. It was the same trophy, just a different name. Yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting. Very interesting. Thank you for writing in Harrison. Christopher Weaver wrote in and said, Hey, CNC, I'm a longtime listener and I've been a patron for a few months. Love the content. Here's my question for you. When do you think the next state of play will drop? I'm thinking around late October. What will be the focus? Death Stranding? VR titles? Something new? Chris, if it's October, think- I'd, I'd expect medieval in some capacity. Yeah. Medieval supposed to come out around Halloween. Mm-hmm. I think it's coming out the same day Call of Duty is coming out or something horrible like that. Yeah. For the game. Not, Call of Duty is not horrible. But when do you think the next one should drop? Let's keep in mind that we did. We did feed the information at the beginning of this podcast that you guys heard that they will be at Gamescom. Sony will be at Gamescom and TGS. It is unclear if they will do a press or they probably won't, but they will have a show floor presence. So maybe something to accommodate those shows would be pretty cool. You know, something very Japanese centric, something for the European audience, whatever that might be. Yeah. What was I mean, what was the uh, the dates between the first two? I don't remember. I feel like it was pretty quick between the first two, like a month, a month and a half, something like that. Mm, yeah. Because I remember we actually focused a whole episode on it, thinking it was going to be something more than it was. I like the state of play. I like what they're doing with it. I, I would have one every month. I would have it on the schedule. I'd have it predictable. Yeah. Have it on the cross media bar on PS4 so people know when it's coming. They add shit to the fucking cross media bar all the time that I don't ask for. PS now finds its way there all the time. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And I have to delete it every month. So it would be cool to have something more uh, regimented and something that was on a more predictable schedule, like the first Wednesday of every month. I think cool. I think that's something that they should do. Yeah, that's that requires uh, effort. And that's not something that you often see from them. So, you know, 
I don't know if that's going to be a, a thing that happens, yeah, but it would know. be cool to have a PSVR focused one or a Halloween focused one or whatever the case. Yeah, may be. yeah. Patriotic I games. Could, if you do it on Fourth of July, whatever. <laughs> whatever you know. Yeah, I, I could see September, like when fall starts picking up, to have another state of play. A Death Stranding one would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Temi Cootie wrote in. He's got the final, or she got the final question. Hey, Colin and Chris. So it's been confirmed that Sony will indeed be attending Gamescom this year. We don't know in what capacity yet. So I wanted to ask you guys, could we see a conference as a response to the lukewarm reception of the State of Play initiative thus far? Could we just see a presence on the show floor with games like Concrete Genie? Or do you think some other configuration entirely? Thanks for all you do. And I wish you both continued success. Thank you so much for your question, Tenny. Chris, what... Should they be doing a Gamescom and TGS? Do you think that a press conference is in order in order to allay the fears that people are feeling? I think it's a bad idea because I think that they yeah. are. I think they're right. I think they're building. I think they're building for a PSX or whatever. Yeah, definitely. I think that remaining quiet. Like I'm even disappointed they're going to Gamescom or TGS. I, TGS is not a huge surprise. But even having any presence there, I think it would be much more interesting to just be like totally fucking weird. Right. And just be. We're not doing anything. We're not going to PAX. We're not going to any of this stuff. We're not talking. Yeah. I think we've released these state of plays to talk about PS4 games. Otherwise, radio silence until suddenly out of nowhere. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's weird. I think it's weird to skip E3 and go to Gamescom. Yeah. That's a weird thing to me. It's a very consumer driven show. It's huge. It's horrifying. I've been there twice. Don't go to Gamescom. <laughs> it's horrifying. It is horrifying. There is nothing more horrifying than Gamescom. You want to talk about horrifying? Be around like 250,000 people. That play the colon Mesa is the biggest building I've ever seen in my life. It never ends. It's like a it's like a a czarist Rome, Romanov palace. <laughs> it's ridiculous. That sounds awesome. It's it's awesome in the days before the the show when you're just walking around and it's super empty and it's I'll tell you something else entirely when yeah. you're dealing with uh, masses of people. But yeah, going to Gamescom I understand it because the European audience is important and that's a very consumer driven show. So people play games there, but. I think it goes against their kind of mysterious message. They have a mystique building right now that I think that they should just stick with. If they don't want the mystique, they should have just went to E3. Yeah, no, I, I think so, too. Because it is a weird thing. Maybe I, I don't think you're going to see a press conference. I think you're probably just going to see them at the show floor with, you know, here's uh, uh, they yeah, Con- I mean, he brought up Concrete Genie, which is a great example. Here's Concrete Genie. Here's Medieval here. Like that's I wouldn't yeah. even put the triple A games out there, but I think that you even show up. It shows that you don't have much because they don't so stay the course you don't change horses midstream sony you don't change horses midstream your Just horses should going. never be in a stream but. no don't put the horse in the stream where did i get that from primary colors i think you remember that that movie by chance no it was based on a book primary an anonymously color. written book about the clinton um campaign in the early 90s and it was this really famous movie that came out in the 90s and i think that there was a i think it's from that or wag the dog or one of those don't change horses midstream it's basically a stupid political thing yeah but uh sounds about right yeah, Chris, I, I think that you got to just stay the course. You got to stay the course. You've come this far. So just stay the course. Yeah. What's Don't Control change. coming out, by the way? When's that? August, I believe. August? Yeah. I'm excited about that. Yeah, it looks good. We'll have to uh, get a copy of that when the time comes for you. Chris, that's all I have for Sacred Symbols of PlayStation Podcast, episode 56. Hope you enjoyed it. Well, what a day. It's good to see you back. By the way, we didn't say our office is, or my office is totally reconfigured. So we're yeah. facing a different direction now. Did you find it confusing? No, I like this direction. I think, it's, I think it works pretty well. Okay, good. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Well, we're going to record a couple of Let's Plays now. We're going to go back to Titanfall 2 and try to get that trophy that eluded us the first time. Did you practice at all? No. <laughs> Did you read it all? Read? Yeah, There's a lot of there was a lot of feedback about Titanfall 2. Oh, man. Maybe we shouldn't do it then this week. Maybe we should do this next week then. 
Because the Titanfall I, I, one? Yeah, yeah, let's do the Titanfall one next week. Okay, well Ooh. then let's do them both next week. Yeah? Yeah, that way we can... Let's just do them both next week. That's my... That's my... Would you want? Did you want to do Crash this week? I want to do Crash this week. All right, we'll do Crash this week and we'll do uh, Titanfall 2 next week because you've got to study up a little bit. Yeah. Because a lot of people were giving you a lot of good advice <laughs> in the comments about what you should be doing. Yeah, fuck. I, gotta re- I, I meant to do it. I don't know what the hell happened. Oh, yeah, trips. You're a fucking slacker. No, I went to happened. Vegas and I went to VidCon Vegas. and I haven't been home. Vegas. 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 My door broke. Did you see that? No. Your front door or your <laughs> My door front to your room? door, the, the deadbolt. It wouldn't unlock nice. while I was trying to do laundry. It was awesome. That's great. Oh, no, I, I didn't see the video. I saw you po- yeah, post something about that. Well, that's fun. Yeah, it was sick. It was well, really at least cool. the bugs can't get out. Eh, you know, knock on. Maybe there's a sofa. maybe there's like a roach shoved in the fucking deadbolt. <laughs> Just this, this, this incredibly like disgusting mass of roaches. Just not. It's like a rat king. Ugh. You know what a rat king is? No. It's a bunch of rats that have been into- like tangled together. Is they- that a real thing? A rat king? I, I hope that's know. a real thing. Some, some dude said it to me with extreme confidence. <laughs> <laughs> a so I just rat believed king. it. <laughs> Love that. All right. All right. Well, let's do CTR now and we'll get that up this week so you guys can look forward to that around the time you're hearing this. We appreciate you. We love you. We thank you. Good to be back in our fine form on Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. So remember, come to PAX West and see us. And remember also a new, I forgot to say it at the top, a new merch is available on the store as well. Tinyurl.com slash sacred shirts. We're selling sweatshirts and long sleeve shirts and all sorts of shit now. So, and coffee mugs, I think are there as well. Ooh. So come check it out. Thank you for your support. We love you. Bye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Carlos Algaret, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Bosford, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixie, Jimmy Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Tom Cargill, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Geo Corsi, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Mitchell Durkash, Zachary Douglas, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Liam Fagan, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbach, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Jimmy Jolicure, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julifs, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinsler III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lastiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, Peter 
Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartlin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Alex Moans, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George A. Nunez, Grayson Orr, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Enrique Perez, James Perrone, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Andrew Ramos, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Josh Salinas, Jose Salinas, John Scholes, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Strycharsk, Ahmad Tamar, Will Thelander, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Jacob Turnbaugh, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Connor Walton, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Hugo's Desk, Organic Produce, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, Nick C, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter86, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Donk2015, and Gavin. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.